Yes, and welcome. It's episode 60 of the Red Leaf WrestleCast. I'm your host, JD, as usual. You can find this podcast at all your favorite podcast and outlets. Podchaser, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. Go leave me a review. <laughs> Alright, the plugs are out of the way. Uh, besides the fact you should all check out redleafretrocast.blogspot.com where... If you're a wrestling fan, you can go check out the nice little uh, written-up articles I uh, just quickly write up and go over the wrestling rankings, how everything's shaping up. Uh, just quick little thoughts that you don't hear on the podcast, because we finish out each podcast with the wrestling rankings. Over the past two weeks, each wrestler accumulates points. A lot of people seem to like it, and they like the little write-up, so if you're a new listener to the podcast, go Go check it out at the website. A lot of changes happening in the wrestling world. A lot of negatives, a lot of positives. Uh, Wrestling-wise, it's a positive. The people in the wrestling world is a big negative. Uh, Yes, the speaking out movement is in full force. Uh, Black Lives Matter still matter. So the speaking out movement, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail but how it's going to change this podcast going forward with uh, how much this has impacted the European scene in particular. WXW, one of my favorite promotions over the last few years, they've just been gutted. They're doing internal investigations. They're taking a lot of things seriously. They fired Jay Skillet and um, Julian Pace, who... uh, as abusive trainers, um, at least that's one of the thing that's things that's been revealed. Uh, I was going to cover their little shotgun show that they've they've tried to do to, you know, kind of keep some buzz going around the promotion, but it's been it's been canceled for the foreseeable future due to this, and I just don't see WXW recovering uh, at all, really. Um, there's a lot of bad allegations. They've they've dealt with abusive trainers. They've caught them in the past. I believe uh, John Klinger was among one of them. Um, it's really an unfortunate and horrible circumstance in the European wrestling world. The UK has just been eviscerated. Progress Wrestling is a piece of shit promotion uh, for allowing a lot of this to happen. A good chunk of their wrestlers, ICW is among one of them with uh, just Wolfgang and uh, to name Attack Pro Wrestling is closed for the foreseeable future with a lot of uh, people related to that. Uh, OTT, Devlin, Scotty Davis, they're foreseeably done. Travis Banks, Legero, the list goes on. There's just so many names to go through. This podcast will not be covering the European scene for a long time to come. And at least... To my fandom, the one that's hit me the most is definitely the David Starr. He turns out to be a frat boy shithead. And uh, on this podcast, he was the number two ranked wrestler of 2019. Uh, I've met him personally. I've talked to him personally. I've interviewed the guy. And it's 
it's something that I think a lot of wrestling fans just didn't see coming, but we would be naive in to think that the entertainment industry as a whole doesn't have these things. Uh, and that's not to mention a lot of just interviews of the past are coming to light. It's a huge difference. So in light of that, or in reaction to it, no, WXW will not be covered. Uh, you know, I might check out a main event every now and again. I'm still a big Bobby Guns fan. I love Absolute Andy and company. Uh, but that... It's just... It's torched to the ground. Burn it. Chikara is now closed uh, due to Quackenbush's allegations. Uh, ECCW uh, up in Canada. That's probably the biggest Northwestern Canadian promotion... Or Western Canadian promotion out there. Uh... Their main dude stepped down from allegations. It's crazy. So yeah, WXW is done for the foreseeable future. If some, if if but word gets around that a big main event happened and it was good, I'll check it out. I'll talk about it on the podcast. But other than covering the promotions in Europe going forward, uh, it's definitely on hold. It's definitely on a on a word of mouth basis. Uh, I'm. Uh, there's a lot of me that just feels like I'm I'm a, I'm ashamed as a fan to have supported these things for so long. Uh, no, not everybody involved is of course bad. A lot of them are good, uh, but they got a lot of they got a lot of goodwill to make up with me. And so with that, uh, and the development of my fandom of DDT, uh, I have revamped the little wrestling war uh, for that. So DDT, since they've been doing TV uh, TV shows and they're going to continue doing it for the, for the future, at least throughout the summer, and how often they put on shows and their overall presentation, I'm replacing WXW with DDT to go up against AEW. Uh, so, and I also feel that the way DDT pre uh, presents itself is kind of as close to a TV style that you can get uh, to compare to AEW to see how... Um, and the styles aren't too much different. I, I, they, they have a good focus on comedy along with being serious. So that's how it's going to be called the Ocean War going forward. Uh, and then that will leave off Dragon Gate and New Japan to continue the Puro War. So that does it for just the little intro here. This episode is titled Delivered to a Rainbow in Yokohama. This is episode 60. And I'm just going to jump right into uh, one uh, recommended match from Outside Promotion. And it kind of entails an entire show. I, I watched the Seedling show Delivered to You on June 13th. Uh, it, the show itself was quite good. I ended up watching the whole thing. I came for the main event. I stuck around and watched the rest of it. I was very pleasantly surprised. Uh, Hiroyo Matsumoto defeated Rookie and Hinori Hana. Makoto and Yu were in a tag team match. They defeated uh, the actress girls team of Miyuki, uh, Miyuki Takase and Misa Matsui. I believe Matsui is an actress girl. Uh, Takase was a real star. No shot coming from the actress girls champion here. Her selling, her fire, her charisma just pops off the screen. If you're not familiar with uh, Miyuki Takase, she shows up in Seedling quite often. Of course, she's an actress regular, being the champion and all. And uh, I've seen her in Ice Ribbon pop up every now and again, along with uh, Tehonma. 
Tai Honma, if you want to get real specific on uh, name pronunciation. Uh, Yoshiko and Kao Kobayashi uh, took, uh, defeated and took on Max Voltage. That's the very charismatic duo of Ryo Mizunami and Aoki Itsuki. Uh, I, this match was very fun. I definitely liked it. That was followed by a 10-person battle royal that was also real goofy and real fun. Uh, won by Yoshiko, which uh, I will get into in a little bit why that's important. But the main event is what I came for, and that's Asuka, all caps, taking on the champion Arisa Nakajima. Uh, big title match went 18 minutes and 36 seconds, did not overstay its welcome. Asuka was just on another level for most of the match. She was on point. The mat work from Asuka continues to be her weakness, as uh, I spoke about in the last episode uh, from her Gato Move appearance, uh, among one thing. But improvement is indeed being noticed. Uh, she even had some great heel work in the beginning of this match. Uh, <laughs> featured her pulling the hair uh, on a like a camel clutch position. And she's just mocking the ref counts going in between the hands, pulling the hair. Arisa, no surprising here. Not shocking here. Sold amazingly, amazingly well uh, as fighting back from underneath as Asuka's friends stood outside. She's got her own little group here seedling. Arisa tried to keep it all in the ring, uh, which I'm a big fan of. You know, uh, I'm all for crowd brawling, maybe brawl outside every now and again, but it's got to fit your character. Like, if Yoshiko was going to take, was going to be in a match, yeah. Brawl in the crowd, brawl outside, go, go among the bleachers kind of thing that fits the character. Asuka hasn't, I'm not too familiar with it yet, and being that it's a big title match, yes, keep it in the ring. I was very much for it. Uh, the one time they did go outside, uh, Arisa went outside. She quickly clocked Asuka's uh, little little seconds there, and she immediately got back in the ring. And the big turnaround in the match was a huge missile dropkick from Arisa to the right leg of Asuka. This cued that wonderful limb work. You know me. You, you do the limb work, and they're selling of the limb. You get big bonus points. That's just the type of wrestling I love and grow accustomed to. So yes, it was worked in the match from that point forward. Asuka sold it more and more as it went on. And it worked into the finish. Even though Asuka did manage to kick out of the leg clutch German, which I was very shocked to, kind of elevated her in kicking out of that move. Uh, I thought Asuka had it with this amazing full strength uh, sit-out powerbomb. Uh, moonsault to follow combination, so just real close finishes. In the end, as Arisa went for a half-Nelson suplex, uh, but in the counter, Arisa does a quick three-set counter situation, clutch roll-up uh, on Asuka for uh, the ability to retain the title. Uh, excellent match with an excellent finish. Unfortunately, what brings this match down uh, was the total and complete lack of Crowd reaction being that there was no crowd. Uh, Yoshiko seems to be the next challenger as she came out post-match. Uh, good show from Seedling here. And then for kicks, because of this, I got curious and went back and watched the January match from Seedling's fifth anniversary show in which Arisa defended it against Yoshiko. And this is important considering Yoshiko seemingly is that next challenger. 
She won the Battle Royal. She came out. And I can honestly say this is a match definitely worth checking out from January. It's a sure, surefire throwback Josie-style match. Uh, two veteran women beating the hell out of each other. Mostly Arisa doing the bullying and beating, which uh, kind of shocked me considering the character of Yoshiko. Most of the match was Yoshiko fighting from underneath. Uh, lots of chippy boot scrapes and chippy hair pulling. Uh, getting the rival rivalry over that these two just want to beat each other up. It's very much straightforward in what they were going for here. Turns out this match goes to a 20-minute time limit draw. And as indeed, as you watch this match, it felt like something was missing. Something was held back. Like, they weren't quite going all out. They were just going 50-50 the whole time. And because it went to that time limit draw, then you're like, okay, this makes sense. They need a bigger, better match to show for it. Uh, I'm just not really sure why you would do a draw finish for your main event on an anniversary show. That's a very, that's a big negative to me, because that's, if I'm watching a big anniversary, big built-up show, I don't want to see a draw. You build, you build up to this show with, with a draw. You don't build up to the next show later. We are getting that next show six plus months later uh so there is going to be a payoff to it just think the timing was was uh ill uh the intentions of the timing were ill-informed so for this match i say it deserves retroactive points here like i've done in the past but not the full points so both will get five points apiece here with yoshiko and arisa uh so yeah excellent seedling show uh, i recommend it i'm going to um with uh, a lot less wrestling going on in the world, I don't know when indies are going to come back. I don't know when I'm going to go to an indie show. So, you know, just kind of filling the gaps in. No European wrestling to worry about. So, uh, something I did not expect was to seek out and watch more Seedling. Will it join the Joshi War? I will say no for now. But the wrestlers will definitely probably be featured more and more uh, in in the rankings. So that... Uh, Definitely recommend this deliver this delivered to you show from June 13th. Get a handle on it, get a piece of it. And I'm gonna watch the next couple seedling shows that I can get my hands on. Um so definitely for the next podcast, you'll be hearing another seedling show, or at least a seedling big couple matches that I'll be talking about on the recommended matches section. Uh for the rest of the show. Uh, as my cat, uh I gotta prevent him walking on <laughs> the mic table. Uh, will be the start of this ocean war. Uh, AEW will be my mom and I reviewing the show uh, as we get ready for Fighter Fest. That will be in the next episode. Very excited about that. Uh, DDT had, uh, upon recording this section right now, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to get to TV show 8, but I will definitely have episodes 6 and 7 to review. The Joshi War will consist of Stardom's first show since coming back from the shutdown. Uh, very emotional show, I can immediately tell you. And then Ice Ribbon had their big Yokohama show with the big main event of Mayuki defending against Suzu Suzuki, uh, followed by their little Shinkiba house show uh, 1048 there. Uh, the Pure War will have Dragon Gate's Rainbow Gate uh, along with New Japan doing the New Japan Cup. I hope I can get LK uh, from the SOS Wrestling Network 
to join me for that section of the podcast. And by the way, if you are not still familiar with it, if you want, want to listen to this show on YouTube, I recommend either going to the Red Leaf Retrocast YouTube or go check out the SOS Wrestling Network where this show is also available and you can go see uh, see and listen to a lot more reviews from LK over on the SOS. He does a lot of Puro, uh, New Japan Cup daily updates, uh, DDT TV show updates upon completion, and more. So go check that out. Uh, and then we'll go into the retro stuff. All Japan Women, episode 23. New Japan through the 90s, going March to May 1st, 1992. And then the Nitro uh, in 1998, following uh, World War Three, And... Kevin Nash's first Nitro with the book. He's in creative control. So you can just imagine my feelings on that. So yeah, go check. I, I, I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. I'm going to pass this over uh, as we get to the rest of us. I hope you guys enjoy. Mom, we're back for more AEW. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. June 17th, Dynamite number 37, and June 24th, Dynamite 38. The go-home show for the two-week, I guess, uh, non-pay-per-view, free-to-watch uh, to Fighter Fest that we're going to see. Exciting. Very exciting. And to keep you in on the loop of the wrestling world, Mother, uh, WWE... Oh, WWE NXT has won a week in the ratings. It's been a long time, I believe. How did first that time. happen? Well, there's a theory, and it was actually the last, the previous week's episode, the Go Home Fighter Fest episode, uh, mm-hmm. that NXT crushed AEW Dynamite in the ratings. 150 plus thousand people more watched NXT that particular week. And and how much wrestling did NXT happen? <laughs> Uh, NXT had, I believe, um, by my count, 31 minutes of wrestling. Ooh, out of how, how long? Two hours? Two hours. Uh, AEW, I had these written down, and they're on Twitter. Um, I think AEW had 47 or something <gasps> along those lines. Wow. But. They increased. How? No. Well, no. Uh, that's much less than the, uh, previous weeks for AEW. What's oh. what's consistent though is and I spoke about this in the past. Oh, I was, thought you said WWE. No, no, no. WWE had uh, NXT had the you know the 30 31 32 and Raw yeah. again okay. had okay. 32 minutes or something yeah. on those lines. So, okay. Yeah, they're okay. they're consistent with very little wrestling on their TV shows. But with <laughs> AEW, why it was less than, you know, that, that 52 minute plus average is sure. very consistent with how they do uh, Dynamite episodes before their big either pay-per-view events or big TV specials is they don't have the main event. They have a main event match. They have a big go-home segment. And this case That's was fun. the uh, Orange Cassidy, Chris Jericho segment. It was not a match, so they stuck in, uh, in line with what they do. So that is that is their their mo. 
And justifiably to, so. Justifiably, you know, they gotta they gotta hype up the main event. NXT was hyping up a triple threat match um, for one of their mid mid middle of the road titles, and the winner will go on uh, to counter program in a uh, title versus title match for their big thing. And then NXT is WWE is doing a lot of counter programming on uh, weak builds and no builds, uh, so that it's a it's a big counter program heavy show for them to try to uh, minimize how many people will, wa will be watching Fighter Fest. So, uh, I do have my theory on why uh, AEW Dynamite had such a drop in viewership for the June 24th episode, and we'll get into that in a little bit uh, once we kind of talk about the show and uh, what we think is going to happen at Fighter Fest. What of our predictions... Uh, the big thing and important to note is John Moxley's wife, Renee Young, caught the coronavirus. She works oh, for WWE. Oh, no. And there's a current outbreak of the coronavirus in WWE. And um, Moxley <laughs> took it upon himself to... to yeah. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, and Moxley took it upon himself to basically make it public. And he's clearly pissed off. And then QT Marshall, our boy, and pretty much everybody more or less related to his wrestling school and that that's a lot of uh that's anna j and company uh yeah. qt was possibly exposed so he was all he was out of the june 24th show um getting tested himself and then because he was possibly exposed all of his students stayed away as well for the episode uh, uh, yeah so brutal. yeah so keep that in mind um, but let's go with the June. Uh, did you watch Dark or anything? I didn't. I didn't. I, I really should have, but I did not. Okay. And Sorry. then, yeah. Did you? And, uh, no. <laughs> I but there is a cool thing over the past two weeks that AEW started doing, and that's the kind of sports time ticker mm -hmm. uh, during the match where it says uh, results from AEW Dark with Whom Beat Who. Uh, such as uh, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Sunny Kiss and Joey Janela defeated uh, Reynolds and Silver on Dark kind of situation, explaining their Good. five and zero record situation. <laughs> I do. I hate, ever yeah. since I saw him um, do what he did to my girl, I was like, yeah. Um, yeah, I have no no liking of him at all whatsoever. Good heel, then. He's an asshole. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they started doing that. They even, uh, on Dynamite, they even did a small little, you know, 20-second recap of Sean Spears, you know, playing off getting the glove, the black glove from his manager and uh, yeah. loading it up with a big, like, lead plate or something. So he's, you know, I really like that. They are fine. It took a long time for them to finally start incorporating stuff happening on dark onto dynamite and i'm very much for that well i think i think the other thing that kind of turns me off a little bit about uh watching dark is uh listening to that what's his name uh taz, taz. yeah yeah uh, i'm not i'm just not a fan of listening that i'm not an obnoxious human person <laughs> okay so <laughs> kind of turns me off i i wish it were somebody else um, he's just, he, he just, he's obnoxious to me. I can only listen to it for so long because he's, he's constantly, um, jamming everybody. I just, I don't like to listen to that. 
It's just my opinion. <laughs> just saying. Well, uh, we uh, one last note before we get into the shows is Jimmy Havoc has been uh, suspended and sent to rehab for uh, allegations that came out over um, certain mental disorders that he has. Won't go, I won't go into the details. You can find that out on your own. And then Sammy Guevara is also uh, suspended for definite amount of time. Definitely. Definite amount of time for uh, a certain words and phrases and, and joke that he some other said allegations a, said on a podcast four years ago. He's out. Yeah. For the foreseeable future. Bummer. Very much a bummer. Bummer. I think he'll ultimately be bummer fine. Bummer for both of them. I think Guevara will ultimately be fine. Uh, Jimmy Havoc, not so sure about. It. He's he. There's a yeah, very good it's, chance it's he's done. Yeah, it's too bad for both of them. Yeah, it's too bad for both of them. Um, you know, they're they're both got different issues. You know that happened, and so too bad, too bad, too sad. Onward, forward. Yeah, so. Right quick, going through uh, the June 17th show. Page and Omega defeated the Natural Nightmares. My man QT Marshall did not pin Kenny Omega. Another another loss there. 12 minutes, 56 seconds, they retained the titles. They go on to Fighter Fest uh, to defend their titles. Um, Abaddon defeats Anna Jay. I do want to talk about that in particular uh, in a second here. MJF defeats Billy Gunn. 10-minute match. Cody defeats Ricky Starks from NWA, formerly of NWA now. He's a bishop. Uh, him and Abaddon were officially signed by AW as Cody defended the TNT title successfully against him in a banger of a match. I really enjoyed that one. The Young Bucks defeated uh, the Super Bad Squad, Havoc and Sabian. Uh, that caused. Good thing. Uh, good thing, too, yeah, right? <laughs> In hindsight, uh, and that caused more, right. yeah, and that caused more uh, animosity and weird building for the Young Bucks and after. Uh, and then in the main event, best friends defeated the Inner Circle, uh, La Sex Gods. Also, <laughs> good in hindsight. Good <laughs> Fifteen minute match. It was a very good main event. Uh, that was highlighted by Orange Cassidy uh, hiding as a cameraman. Apparently, the entire show, uh, waiting for his moment, trips up Guevara. And that gave his friends the win, and then him and Jericho went to Bulls after the match. So, June 17th show. What did you really like? What did you dislike? Uh, Britt Baker is my big highlight of both shows, in particular with the golf cart, uh, the Rolls Royce. She's and... doing really well with that. Oh my god, she's, <laughs> she's injured and she's still the highlight of the show. Honestly, she's doing really good. I, I love it. Um, my my three favorites was the beginning and the end. I mean, they they both got three and a half stars for me. Kenny Omega and Adam Page against um, Dean Marshall and Dustin. Uh, lots of action on that first one. I love it that AEW, you know, starts out with a lot of lot going on and then ends it with a lot going on and a lot of fun and a lot of action and um, great beginning, great ending. They both got three and a half stars for me. I agree. I I feel like this should have been switched. I, I AW you know, has. I think we feel. I think we feel that way with a lot of of how how it goes. But um, I'm just really grateful that they didn't end it with Cody like they had been doing. Yeah, that was a, there, that was a very good. Total dud. 
Yeah, that was a yeah. that was a very good change of pace. Cody at the nine o'clock hour. Yeah. I I do like him at the top yeah. of the hour. That's really that's yeah. that's nice. Maybe even yes. start off the show with Cody. That that would be better. But AEW seems to be very set on having a hot tag team match to start off the show. Now they didn't do that on the June twenty fourth show, which I was I was like, wow, color no. me surprised. <laughs> they didn't do that for yeah. once. Well, <laughs> which you know, I mean. Uh, after all that was going on, um, understandable, I suppose. With the the people that came down with the virus and things going on in just one week time, you know. So, I, su- I suppose, but I I really yeah. want them to start putting that tag title in the main event. I they really like. I think that the best friends inner circle match starting off the show would have been and that brawl would have kept viewers better that's just a theory i have and then you built up to your title your title match at the top of the sh- at the to finish off the show oh, they they're very set on the tag titles being the forefront first thing you see and may- maybe maybe they're right maybe maybe they have the metrics that can that can tell me differently you know probably probably <laughs> so uh the Abaddon and a J match was a huge big plus for me personally. Uh, they did the big vignette over Anna J. You know, I want to be the star of the show. I got to figure out who I am. I got to get better. Uh, so they did this big build up to her, and then Abaddon comes out and kicks the shit out of her in a minute. <laughs> right, it was a pretty fast match, and oh my god, she she looks like a scary movie come to life. Yeah, it's great. She's it's like a blast from the past. Pretty... Yeah. <laughs> It was great. Pretty, and then, pretty crazy. Yeah, it put, it I'm put not her familiar, over. I'm not familiar with her. Where is she? Where is she from? She's brand new. Oh, she's Abaddon's brand new. Yeah. Oh. Anna Jay's from hmm. QT Marshall School, and Abaddon's from an extremely unknown small like indie scene, just for a small a period of time. Huh. So. Uh, yeah. This uh, this really got Abaddon over as as someone special, and then. Cue the Dark Order coming out, which of course I gotta, I gotta play the music for that. <laughs> Join the Dark Order. Yeah, so Dark Order comes out. Uh, Brody Lee hand handles uh, handles hands Colt Cabana, your man. Boom boom. A match contract that we later find out. Doom doom. doom and doom. Uh, Colt Cabana is like, man, he. I, they didn't show this on Dynamite, but they showed it on social media and whatnot, where. Uh-huh. Cole is interviewed and he goes, look, yeah, I walked into the uh, Dark Order's office last week, but what the cameras didn't see was I was talking to everybody because that's what wrestlers do. They talk to each other. I'm in a slump. I'm losing. I don't want to lose my job. You know, if I'm not winning, I'm not good enough. So, yeah, this is an opportunity for a match on Dynamite. I'm taking it. And so he signs that contract for a match uh, for June 24th with Brody Lee. And then Brody Lee asks Anna Jay... To, uh, you know, he helps helps her up. They escort her to the back, so we could be looking at Anna Jay joining the Dark Order. A good, good, oh, very good segment. This is a hmm. huge, dun, 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 huge dun, dun, thumbs up for me. Yeah, cool. Yeah. MJF very beats cool. Billy with the ring. Not much else there. It was fine. Yeah. 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 What did you think not of feeling, Ricky? Not feeling MJF. Oh. What'd you think Wait, of Ricky Starks, at least? 
Um, I thought it was a decent match for a debut. You know, um, I know you were all about it and stuff, but oh, Louisiana uh, boy, hell yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it didn't do that much for me. I'm oh, well, sure because it, it's Cody. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Did you know I, you can I, buy uh, henna tattoos of Cody's neck tattoo? Oh, God, really? I can buy a henna You can buy a tattoo? henna tattoo and throw it on your neck, Mom. Wear it to work. Uh, <laughs> I don't go to work. <laughs> my, <laughs> my work is home. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Well, if they did the bubblegum size, you know, I could do that. Okay. <laughs> get the tattoo wet, you know, whatever. It will last for, you know, till I sweat. Sure. <laughs> Seriously? Oh, God. Uh, no, I'd actually put it on my face. Forget the neck. Just go for the face, the cheek. Very Tyson-esque of you. Yeah. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Just do my whole eye. I have a theory. I have a theory. Mike Tyson's going to interfere, and punch out Jericho, and give Orange Ca and that gives Orange Cassidy the win. Ooh, is he is he supposed to be in attendance? Uh, no. I didn't hear anything about. Oh, okay. I didn't hear because oh, I didn't hear anything that he was going to be there. So, interesting theory. So negative. I had. I thought the Young Bucks Super Bad Squad match went. Uh, too long. I kind of got out of it a bit after the 10-minute mark. I, I kind of lost interest with a lot of the nonsense that was going on. But the Best Friends Inner Circle match, that went 15 and a half minutes, and I was way into that one. That was very exciting to watch. Jericho and Guevara are an excellent, fun team to watch, and then the Best Friends are low-key one of the best things on Dynamite every week. That whole group, Taylor, Trent, Orange Cassidy, they are a winning trio i love them yep. they're great wrestlers they have they each have their own unique quirky personalities to them all they're very yep. weird i love it <laughs> this was a good match. well one thing i i found uh kind of interesting was that you know um going back to the the uh the super bad squad that's been dismantled mm -hmm. and the young bucks um, that Sabian had bleed was bleeding from the ear, and then uh, last week we had the same thing happen to Orange Cassidy, yeah, bleeding from the ear. So we got double ear bleed. Same thing too, the right ear. Interesting. Your I just thought that was interesting. In Happening there. Oh, no, I'm not doing anything. Okay. Is that better? Yeah, it's, yeah, it, fi it fi fixed it. Cool. Oh, I was a little. Far away. Um, Sorry. Maybe that's what it was. Right, having a hard time picking you up. Um, so yeah, that was the June 17th show. I thought it was action-packed, fast-paced. Uh, a lot of good fun. things on it. Fun, fun. It built towards uh, Fodder Fest um, in many ways. Uh, the... Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then June 24th, the go-home show, uh, the one where they lost to NXT by a lot. Uh, and now I'm going to go through this card uh, of... of what happened, who won, and you tell me if anything sticks out to you on, and if you have any theories on why AEW had their lowest audience on a Wednesday night they've ever had, okay? Wow, okay. Yeah, they only had like 600-something thousand. Wow. Uh, 
Wardlow defeats Luchasaurus, Lumberjack Mats, 9 minutes. Hikaru Shida defeats Red Velvet in 12 seconds, beats up Penelope Ford and Kip Sabian after the match in a brawl. Uh, I forgot to mention that after the Wardlow-Luchasaurus match, there was a big-time crowd brawl between uh, the two groups and a bunch of wrestlers. Colt Cabana and Brody Lee with Silver and Reynolds ringside defeat Janela and Kiss in 9 minutes. After defeats SCU in 12 minutes, uh, in a and SCU replaced QT Marshall and Dustin Rhodes because of what happened with QT. Brian Cage murders John Cruz in a minute and a half. Matt Hardy defeats Santana in an 11-minute match as Santana replaced Sammy Guevara. And then the go-home segment of Jericho and Cassidy brawling throughout the arena. That was the card. Anything stick out to you? Theories? Well, I was quite annoyed myself because of of the the streaming sucked. And had I had it my way and, and wasn't part of the, the group watch, I probably would have watched it the next day. Huh? Okay. So that's one theory. Um the other theory, I just think everything was off. It just felt off. Okay, how so? And, um, I don't think that the uh, things were meshing. They were. They was lacking um, energy. Okay. Lacking total. A lot, lot of energy. You know, a lot of energy was fading. You know, the the um, the Wardlow Luchasaurus. That was a great match. It was a, a great amount of time, quick time, uh, a lot of action. Really enjoyed that match. Um, then we came to Sheeta. That that was pretty <laughs> slam dunk done. And she went to go attack Penelope for great. You know that was good fun. But then, um, then it was uh, Doom Doom Colt Cabana um, with Brody Lee, Janela, and Kiss. I'm not feeling that one at all. I did. I didn't have anything about it. I just. I mean, I. I know that that all thought it was a good match. I, there was. I didn't like it. I. Did, I just didn't care for the match. And um, things I just think started just going downhill after, after Sheeta and, and Penelope, or Sheeta and uh, Red Velvet. Sorry. Mm. And because then, um, you know, with Brian Cage versus John Cruz, that, that was just a, a throw around. There wasn't even any wrestling. It was just to throw, throw this human being from one side to the other and, you know, just make him a total mess. And it was like watching Marco stunt, poor guy, get thrown around. You know, <laughs> well, it wasn't even a, a match. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what do you call those guys? It just they're just there to get annihilated. Enhancement um, talents. Uh, right, enhancement talents. But I think that's I. You know, I really haven't seen. To me, I haven't seen Brian Cage actually do much wrestling. To me, he's just a, a throw-around kind of guy. Mm -hmm. Just throws people around. 
That's what I, I get get from him. And and unfortunately, you know, on on the last match with Broken Matt Hardy uh, and Santana, I just don't think the mesh was there. No, it definitely and, wasn't. And, and I no. So I think the energy level started out good, but then it came really dull. Not much excitement. And then, you know, with, with FTR, uh, I think they're uh, old school. Uh, and I like this why I like AEW because of the, of the, um, uh, gymnastics i guess uh there's what did you say that i liked uh, i like the the action that the energy that the people bring to the wrestling ring day and ftr i think for me to like them more they would have to do more than just um old school wrestling mm-hmm. we've come a long way and I think AEW's dynamics regarding that has promoted that. And FTR is really kind of quiet in that regard. So all in all, I feel that the energy level after um, uh, Sheeta, after that, uh, it just started going downhill from the Doom Doom Colt Cabana thing. That's my theory, my thoughts. What do you think? Why do you think it was lost in translation? Well, uh, I believe, now I haven't seen how like the Nielsen rating quarter hours work, but my theory is once the, um, once the Colt Cabana match was over with, and Brody mm-hmm. Lee, maybe even halfway through that, uh, because of how not ring ready sunny sunny kisses and mm-hmm. how unknown the person is people started turning off and as yep. and as the show went on more people started started turning off because if you've noticed not one person from the elite was on the show no kenny omega no young bucks no page not even really the people they were feuding with no best friends uh there were some, there was some vignettes there was some videos i loved the Omega Page uh, versus Best Friends video package that they did, where they they are uh, pages drinking and you know he's got his old and the best friends are are doing their shtick where they go, yeah we've been through some tough times oh yeah like what um <laughs> <laughs> you know, we hug because it makes us stronger kind of situation I love that but they weren't wrestling no these no no Moxley was on the show he wasn't wrestling because well. You know his circumstances. Jericho and Cassidy weren't wrestling, despite having a uh, pretty fun segment at the end. That segment was not promoted throughout the show. As I'm watching it, I'm like, "So what's the main event?" I had no idea until almost the very mm-hmm. end when it happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, they promoted that you know they would go face to face, but they they usually AEW is very clear on you know the what's going to happen on the show and what's going to be the main event. That's what we're building to, right? They didn't do that on this show. And the Well, you had a couple of wrenches thrown in during the week, you know, so I think that changes your whole energy level and, and what went on this week. 
Sure, there's because a, there's you a lot know when, going on. yeah, when we were talking, you know, um, uh, you all were telling me stuff, and I'm like, oh, okay. I and I prefer being in the dark. I'd rather be in the dark because I, I don't want to hear the the negatives. I'm not a fan of negatives, so. Um, even though I'm very negative against certain people sure. <laughs> in the wrestling thing. It's, but, sometimes um, it's better to stay ignorant kind of situation. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I think because of those two wrenches um, and what went on, I think it, it just uh, really changed some of the dynamics of, of the energy of, of everything that happened. Hopefully uh, this coming week, will re-energize and regroup and uh we'll have some good good uh matches coming up yeah i think for sure the matt hardy match uh lost a lot of people because that had no feeling with it behind it right but yeah i even said it, i i was not feeling that match at all right it just it was just very hmm flat very so flat. the uh, the cards for the two weeks of Fighter Fest next week, Dynamite thirty nine, Fighter Fest day one, will be MJF and Wardlow uh, tag match versus the Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. I have MJF and Wardlow winning that. You? Wait a minute. What's the first one? MJF and Wardlow versus the Jurassic Express. Uh, I'll take Jurassic Express. Okay. Private Party with Matt Hardy versus uh, Inner Circle Proud and Powerful members Ortiz and Santana. I'm taking Ortiz and Santana in that one. I'll take that too. Take that bet. Hikaru Shida versus Penelope Ford for the AEW Women's Title. I'm taking Shida. I'll take that too. Okay. AEW tag title match. This isn't marked for the main event on cage match here, but it's Omega Page defending against the best friends. Um, I'm I'm like 70-30 Omega Page is going to retain, but if the best friends win and this uh, puts a wrench into the whole Omega Page thing, kicks off a little feud there, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm, ta I'm still taking Omega Page for now. Me too. Okay. Uh, then Cody defends the TNT title against Jake Hager. I'm unfortunately taking Mr. Neck Tattoo. Yes? I'm taking Hager. You're taking Hager. <laughs> I hope that's not the main event. I really hope not. Oh, God, I hope not. If that's the main event... Like, I, I hope it. I no. I don't think so. It should be the tag yeah. titles. It really should be. Right. Yeah. No. I I could see the tag title. It as, should be. Uh, it should, yeah. It should. It should. That is the bigger so match. That's the, that's that's uh, Wednesday. That's that's this coming Wednesday. It's, yeah. Um, we didn't mention that Cody and Jake Hager had a little boxing, you know, MMA press conference thing. It was fine. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> And That's then Fighter Fest Day 2, uh, Lance Archer versus Joey Janela. That should be fun. Hope so. I expect Archer to win because Joey Janela will I die. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, there's a throw. I, I You know, if we're going to throw people around, 
I would like it to be Archer and Cage. I'd like to see that match. Think it'd ever happen? Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. Archer Someday. and Cage. Yeah. Archer Cage, Brody Lee, triple threat. <laughs> Just three big dudes throwing each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, this one's very interesting. I'm, I'm wondering if you have any theories. It's Nyla Rose versus a mystery opponent. Hmm. Mystery opponent. So this could be a new oh, signing. Oh, Britt Baker? No, no, she's injured. She, she was going to be coming back at Fighter Fest. No, 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 all out. That's in uh, August, oh, early September. Oh, okay. Nyla Rose versus hmm, Marco Stunt? Yeah, that would be funny. <laughs> Uh, I have that a theory. I have a theory. It's going to be B Priestley, but I could be very mistaken on that. Hmm. You know what? Barring whatever the travel restrictions are, of course. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um. Mm. Otherwise, it could be very much a new signing. Very possible. Cole Cabana is teaming how about, up. How? Why? Why? Why wouldn't it be uh, Abaddon? I mean, Abaddon. It, could, it could be. It could be Abaddon or Big Swole. I, I would be yeah. kind of disappointed, really. To see Abaddon? I wouldn't be upset, but I just wouldn't expect them to win then at that point. I'm, I'm really... Well, got it's it. not I'm, for any title or anything. No, but it, I imagine the winner would be like, would shoot up the rankings and that would be kind of your number one contender de facto, or at least a leader for it. Hulk Cabana teams with Brody Lee and Stu Grayson of the Dark Order to take on the full team of SCU. I think Hulk Cabana pins Christopher Daniels. Hmm. Very intrigued by this Dark Order storyline. Hmm. I'll take SCU. So we didn't mention that. Oh, by the way, Nyla, Nyla Rose is not going to win. Okay. Uh, we didn't mention that the pre that the previous week, uh, after the after SCU match, that the Butcher and Blade uh, hijacked their pickup truck, and the Lucha right. Brothers popped up behind them. They were announced as uh, tag team partners. So it's a eight man tag. After and the Young Bucks are taking on Butcher and Blade and the Lucha Brothers. I think uh, I think the Lucha Brothers are going to pick up the win, either or, and it's going to be due to the Young Bucks and FTR uh, costing each other the match. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I'm going to go with FTR and Young Bucks. Jericho against Orange Cassidy. This is where I have a theory that Mike Tyson is going to cost Jericho the match and Orange Cassidy wins. Orange Cassidy will not be juiced. <laughs> <laughs> Good promo by Jericho, by the way. Against Orange Cassidy. Everyone hated you. They hated your shit. Why'd you sign him? Oh, because everyone liked you. You proved him wrong. You know, it was, it was a good promo. Loved it. Orange Cassidy does his, does his fake kicks and... <laughs> I think Jericho's gonna win. I'll take Jericho. 
And then this is our big mystery at the point uh, right now. It's Moxley against Cage. This is the only title defended on night two of Fighter Fest. Uh, I don't expect this match to happen. Uh, so, what are they going to do with Cage? Uh, what are they? How are they going to get creative uh, to make up the main event? What are they going to do? I could easily see them going the safe route and just have Cody defend it a second time on Fighter Fest. Uh, I don't think that's a very good idea. I think you should get more creative with that, but here we are. Because uh, I don't think this uh, this is going to happen. Moxley cage match. Well, how come there's so many in day two and we don't have... Uh, two, six... It's uh, five matches day one, six matches day two. Five matches day one, six matches day two. Oh. Um... Well, I I think that if Moxley Cage don't show up, or I don't know Cage, who would who would he go up against? Um, hmm. Darby Allen, maybe. Part of the little storyline. Have they has. Wardlow? No. No, Darby Allen. I could see them put, putting that on. Oh, yeah. Because of yeah. the connection with Taz and everything, that would make sense. Well, has he been cleared yet? I mean, come, I mean, come on. He could be cleared any day. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't talked about him. I mean, they've shown a couple so, of videos of him, like, skating with yeah. Tony Hawk and whatnot. Right. Hmm. Okay, that, that's a good guess, though. But, I don't know if it's worthy for this big no, fighter fest show uh, you're promoting. No, That's the issue. No. I could see them just switching Jericho Orange Cassidy as the main event match. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I think do, they, and then doing they Cage would. Darby Allen before that or something. Well, and, then it would and be you fun. know, yeah, because there is no um, title match for day two then. Right? That's that's also why I'm kind of leaning towards another TNT title match. It just mm. acts it all together. A number of things they can do. I hope they get yeah. a little bit more creative with what's going on. Uh, but ultimately, I think the go-home show, while it was fine, and it was all building up towards... Uh, it was all building up to the other matches on the cards. You know, um, Bucks and FTR are doing their thing. Uh, whether you... I mean, I'm not feeling the shtick of... FTR and saying like we're a real tag team we use the ropes and everything I, I think that's too much a nail on the head uh, but it's I'm still invested uh, as I look at some of the other things you know the, they were all not the main event storylines you had Cole Cabana and the Dark Order stuff you had the women's mm -hmm. match you had the mm -hmm. MJF and Jungle Boy feud continuing on you had SCU doing their thing the Matt Hardy stuff, they they were all not the main event matches. That also, I think, contributed to it all. Uh, but it's a building show nonetheless. Uh, based on Maybe historical... Maybe it'll be Matt Hardy versus Cage. Possible. Ooh, that would be a good one. So, I, I definitely liked um, Dynamite number 37 more. That's the June 17th show. Then the 24th mm -hmm. show, mm -hmm. but the lumberjack yeah. match was super fun. I really enjoyed that. And I love the, <laughs> I love the after SCU match. That was her, uh, hooray for tag team wrestling type stuff. 
Well, they have plenty of room to do it all. <laughs> no interference. <laughs> that was great. Oh, uh, Wardlow chucking Marco stunt like <laughs> 10 feet in the air. Yeah. Off the stage. That was awesome. Luchasaurus did a freaking shooting star press onto a bunch of people. That was crazy. That was awesome. Wardlow doing a flip. It was great. It was nonsense. I still want to see somebody rip off that mask of Luchasaurus. Wardlow went for it. Red cheat. He needs to, he needs to show, show Luchasaurus's face. Who's under that mask? It's too ugly. You can't bear to see it. <laughs> probably got scale. Not... Probably got scales underneath. Under, underneath there. Yeah, it right to it. To, it's like the Twilight Zone where the the mask is taken over his face. Yeah. When you take the mask off, it's the ref, the, the reflection of his mask. It remains on his face. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so all right, mom. Maybe he really does have horns. Mom, what so what? Got? What do I got? You got any four star matches? I don't have no. Well, the, um, four star. The well, the uh, Wardlow Luchasaurus. That one got three and a half for me. I you know because it started out with a bang for uh, the twenty fourth. Ended as a dud, but that's okay. I still like my Matt Hardy, um, but. As far as my uh, pick for the the uh, wrestler of the the two weeks will be my man Paige. Paige, all right. Why mm -hmm. him? Because he's my man. Okay, the third time he's won it for you this year. Yeah, I I I like his style. I really like his style. He's my guy. There's just something about him. Rhinestone cowboy. <laughs> he is my rhinestone cowboy. <laughs> Giddy up. <laughs> All righty, mom. We'll figure out. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see you in a couple weeks uh, for the next. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yep. And uh, that'll do it for us. Thanks for coming. All right. Hey, I'm back. Just got done with the AEW. Hey, it's the first time we have moved DDT out of the Puro section into the Ocean War. I got three weeks to cover here from DDT Wrestling. Hey, you know, if you would have told me at the beginning of, 20, beginning of 2020 that I would not be watching WXW anymore, I'd be watching DDT and loving it, I might have called you crazy. In fact, I probably would have called you crazy going from a, a promotion I'm not, wasn't really a fan of as I watch my cat just go to town on something he should not be biting. So yeah, back to DDT. Uh, the last three weeks of DDT TV coming off of the Peter Pan show have been phenomenal weekly wrestling. It is so much fun to watch. Uh... It's it's an easy story to tell, even if you don't speak Japanese. The undercard with the Antonio Antonio Honda stuff uh, isn't for me. That's definitely not for me. I don't find his particular uh, comedy funny, so I generally skip 
anything regarding Honda in the undercard. That's just me. But once it gets to uh, even the hardcore matches, uh, the tag wrestling, the trios titles, everything has purpose and it's really shaping up into a direction that you can follow. And that's really good for me, who, who has just come into watching DDT on the regular, as opposed to just watching, say, the Peter Pan show every year, checking in on the KOD tournaments, uh, watching um, uh, whatever that massive show at the end of the last year was. I forget the, the, the name of it, but it was like seven hours long. Uh, this was great. Uh, DDT TV show number six from June 13th. Um, just to recap a little bit, Iron... Heavy metal thing continue with the Dino uh, and Honda. Uh, Juna Akiyama is uh, looking for a trainee. Uh, story continued on. And we'll, I'll get into uh, that story developing over uh, the next two weeks to follow here. Uh, Chris Brooks took out Sasaki post-match uh, to continue their universal title feud. Um, and then that gets us into kind of the crux of the show where... From this point forward on the uh, June 13th show, this just knocked it out of the park for me. I was glued to, let's call it the television. I watch I watch uh, via my laptop hooked to my uh, my flat screen here. Uh, I will be, oh my god, When before the PS5 comes out, I'm, I'm getting a 4K TV. I'm very excited. <laughs> not, not, that, uh, not that this will be in 4K, but uh, 4K is coming bigger television, so I'll be... Moving up in the world from my 32-inch to a, a bigger screen. But the right to challenge anytime, anywhere contract match here, it was Mao. He loses to Yuki Ueno, uh, the current uh, tag champion in DDT. It was a seven-and-a-half-minute match. And boy, you want to talk about guys doing flippy shit the match. Uh, acrobatic spectacle, as one would expect from Mao. But I'm, I'm really relatively new to Yuki Ueno and what, he, what he's... Uh, what he's about, like, I'm more or less familiar with Hiroshima, Mao, Endo, uh, Takashita, that, that core group of DDT guys, right? Uh, or at least at the, at the, uh, at the top, um, so I was very much expecting going into this that Mao was going to win, and to see that, uh, to see what ended up happening was, was something that, really drew me into really paying more attention to Ueno as a breakout competitor going forward in 2020. Because I've seen him in the tag matches, and I'm like, this guy's good. I like him. He's he's He, he tends to stand out. Um, and what we got here was fine. Uh, uh, it was just counter versus counter until one finally messes up, and the flip almost takes out the ref, which leads to Mao uh, kind of getting off his game a little bit. Ueno gets the Dragon Rana pin on Mao, out of seemingly nowhere, and Ueno continues to be that guy on the rise in DDT. And I swear, he's he's just one of those guys that when you start paying attention to, you think they get better in every match. It's kind of like me in an ice ribbon with uh, Suzu Suzuki. You just notice something that they do a little better each time, right? So Ueno has that right to challenge contract at any time, anywhere. And uh, the next match is T-Hawk and Endo. Uh, defeat defeating the all-out team of Akito and Takashita. 18, oh, just over 18 minutes here. Uh, this was a very enjoyable TV-style main event. Um, 
All Out works the knee of Endo, as did Tanaka in their title match from the previous weekend at uh, at Peter Pan. T-Hawks works as the enforcer type, chopping just the hell out of All Out. Uh, always a guilty pleasure of mine. Cut to the end with the big All Out double team, and Lindemann gets involved after a ref bump. Of course, Lindemann uh, pulled Takashita out of the ring in front of the ref prior to the Noga DQ. Uh, got his attention, at least, so take that for what you will. Lindemann Germans all out, uh, right onto their heads. It looked devastating. I was very worried there. Uh, yeah, inside out giving Endo the lead role for the Spin Doctor uh, finisher. Shooting star to win. Very fun tag match. And then out, see, out of nowhere, Ueno uh, jumps Endo cashes in the uh, the little gauntlet post-match. Let's do it, boys. We got a title match. This is what makes must-see TV uh, for a lot of things, is you you set, set things up for, for something like this. And being that DDT isn't uh, geared towards, say, a time stipulation on TNT, they can do this. Uh, so we got Endo versus Wayno, and... You know, usually when you get something, some matches like this, and you got Endo who had just gone 18 minutes, you know, uh, in in a, let's call it a normal wrestling universe, it's like hit your finisher, maybe they'll kick out once, hit another move, and then you have a new champion. Or the champion will counter once, hit their move, and then they retain and just escape. A very short match. Not here. It went almost 17 minutes, and this was pretty great. It was so good that now I wish this was something built up for a challenge over time for a bigger show. However, this also did one thing really well. Is, uh, it told the story of the young 24-year-old jumping the gun too soon, right? And boy, did he pay for it. A good effort, by Ueno. He got the early jump, Endo came back and bullied the young gun. Uh, eventually, eventually, you get the fiery comeback from Ueno. And ultimately, ultimately, Endo is still a pillar higher, makes the young and tap out to the uh, legged Rings of Saturn maneuver that he does. I love this match. I love the entire second hour package DDT showed here. This gets the big match. Big thumbs up from me. I really, really like what I saw out of Yuki Ueno on this show, and Endo just being just a, a, a backbone of DDT, and, and he is the reason why I've continued to just, even when I don't watch it on the regular, not that I ever did, but Tetsuya Endo is that guy, and I really regret not covering more DDT on the podcast until they started this TV show here, over the past uh, few years that I've done this. Uh, TV show number seven on June 20th was, uh, wasn't the greatest uh, one, especially coming off that, that, uh, the previous hot, hot show, but it was announced that Mao will be out with a serious knee and leg injury, so don't expect him to be back anytime soon. Unfortunately, uh, he he basically, uh, I believe that came out after this show here. But uh, we got a nice little trios match of uh, the team all out, defeating Disaster Box. I always like uh, the Disaster Box uh, combination there. A 10-minute match. Yuki Ueno defeats Mad Polly, 9 minutes. Not very good. Mad Polly's not very good. Yuki Ueno just doesn't have that, um... Oh, what's the word I want to use? He doesn't have that carry ability quite yet, which is when you start, you know, you watch an Okada match with generally anybody, there's a certain 
minimum level it's going to reach, right? To to keep you interested. Uh Yuki Ueno's just not at that at that level yet. Uh Juden Akiyama defeats Makoto Oishi. Ten minutes. Akiyama doing his I will beat the piss out of the young guys uh storyline still. Everyone kind of wanting to prove himself. And that um more or less led to a post-match situation with All Out. Uh, more or less Takashita challenging Akiyama and then various guys Akiyama has has punked out over the past few weeks. Uh, a couple guys stepped up to the challenge to make what we'll now know as the uh, Akiyama army to take on All Out for the next week's show. The match that followed was Damnation. That's uh, Sasaki and uh, Takao uh, defeating the team of Chris Brooks and Hiroshima. Uh, ten and a half minutes. And the story to kind of take out of here was the fact that Sasaki wants to get rid of Chris Brooks. Chris Brooks is a thorn in Sasaki's side for the Universal title. This was to really... uh, They're going to have their singles match. And this is Sasaki really putting down the ego of Chris Brooks, his confidence. And that's that that story, and they're talking shit to each other the whole time. We get our main event, which is Eruption. That's uh, Sakaguchi and Saki Akai with uh, Kazusada Higuchi, our big Yakuza group, uh, taking on Strong Hearts for the trio's titles. Uh, this was built off the story of basically Saki Akai and Lindemann have their shit-talking to each other. They got their little uh, bet going on. Saki Akai wants to prove she is not the weak link or prove she can hold her own within her group, and Lindemann is the bully he's basically like, well, if you don't win, you're going to have to lick my boots kind of situation. And it was built, and why this match was was good and well worth recommending is because Saki Akai and Lindemann played such a heavy role uh, for their teams in this match, and it led into the finish of Akai proving herself. It was uh, 18 minutes. It didn't overstay its welcome. Uh, in a lot of ways... Right now, DDT is doing the tag and trios matches better than Dragon Gate, which is usually uh, one of the big strong points I push while watching Dragon Gate. Uh, this was great. She puts out the... Um, uh, she cuts a nice little babyface promo at the end. Uh, I'm sure if there was a million crowd people there, they would be uh, chanting for her. Uh, she has her draw power. She, ha- she has that presence uh, that's very well known. Um, good stuff here. I can I can definitely recommend at least the trios match. Uh, where it ranks in my top 50 tag matches that I'm putting together for the podcast at the year's end. Uh, I haven't decided on this one in particular. Um, I think it's about that mid-table role. I'll just have to kind of figure out which uh, position it will be. And then TV show number 8, June 27th. I thought about pushing this off for the next podcast episode, uh, but that would put me uh, a little too far behind uh, for uh, pumping out the next uh, episode. So here we go, June 27th, and dude, this was a three-hour show. My God, guys, take this down a notch. Uh, this was way better when it was at the two hours, so that's just a nice little side note there. And for what's relevant and more interesting to me for the podcast, what I got to talk about, I'm going to just skip the undercard here. 
there was news broken prior to the show that Jun Akiyama is basically leaving All Japan for DDT, uh, more or less permanently. Uh, they were they they phrase it and word it as he's on on a loan from All Japan. But if you read between the lines, you more or less know that Akiyama is uh, he's out of his trainer role in All Japan. They're getting rid of him, and Akiyama and DDT have come to an agreement that DDT wants him. And here we are. Uh, we got the Akiyami uh, army in full full story mode here going forward, and that should be very interesting. Eruption is back for a tag uh, trios match, and they uh, the 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 short story is they defeat Antonio Honda's team with Yamato, uh, Hiroshi Yamato, and y uh, Yukio Naya. Quick seven minute match, nothing to write home about. Um, gets gets you know it puts over a win with the new trios champs. Uh, yeah, I'm so over and done with anything Honda does these days. But but there is still a saving grace uh, to Honda. At times, and this was one of them. The bigger news was the post-match when Honda gets the mic, and he puts out a challenge for the trios titles again with two new partners, and he's just brought th brought them here today. One of them, cue the music. It's Riho's music, and she comes out in a nice, cute, cute little dress. Uh, great to see her back in a ring. It's very nice. Been wondering where she's been this whole time. And uh, then Rio, Riho says uh, she's she's got a partner, and it's going to be the one that made her the wrestler she is today in Hiroshima. Forgive my cat walking over the mic table. Uh, so well, well, well indeed. Yes, Rio's back in the ring, and this will be a match at DDT's July twenty third uh, Corican show. So hey, we got our first match for the big Corican show. Yes, the fans are back, and. We're, we're, we're here. Very exciting time. Uh, another trios match. This was very trios heavy or tag heavy on the show. Uh, Takashita, uh, Katsumata, and Yuki Ino defeat Okatani, Jun Akiyama, and Oishi, the Akiyama army, uh, just under 12 minutes. Fast-paced, fun action, filled trios match. First half was actually isolating Akiyama, of all people, and then they put the boots to the rest. All Out just did the mob mentality. Simple enough. It was very effective. I liked it. And then they said some things post-match. Uh, there was a big kind of conference and uh, words spoken by Akiyama and what he had to say. So this was not. This will not be the last we see of the Akiyama army and All Out going forward. Could they be building up to a Takashita-Akiyama singles match at Corken Hall? That is very possible. Uh, or a tag match of Takashita and somebody uh, versus Akiyama and his uh, quote-unquote pupil of DDT. There's a number of ways they can go about doing that. DDT announced the King DDT Tournament for August and the four blocks A through D. I won't go through the participants. It's basically the DDT roster. <laughs> Glad it's announced, and it will be my first DDT tournament uh, for, the, uh, for King DDT. Um, I usually just kind of watch... Uh, the semifinals or the finals just by itself, um, kind of like what I do with the Champion Carnival. Uh, this time I I hope to plan on watching the whole thing. So, and our main event it is Nautilus, uh, Yoshimura and Ueno against Damnation, Sh uh, Shimata Shimatani and Endo. Uh, this is 
built off of Endo defeating Ueno in that singles match. And uh, if there's more story to it, feel free to uh, correct me. Uh, but, again, DDT just has this number with the number 18. You guys are going to go 18, 18 and a half minutes. This is, and just put the match together for that time frame. This was excellent. This was, I say this was even better than the Eruption uh, Trios title match against da uh, Damn Hearts. Endo and Ueno absolutely killed it again. The back and forth made a great competitive match, and I really wanted to see how this was going to uh, play off of that week six singles match that Endo and Ueno had. Basically, the big emphasis here was how the tag partners were going to play a role, and boy, did Yoshimura come through in a big way. Just as Endo looked to get the upper hand on Ueno, freaking thick boy Yoshimura pulls off a thunderous Chosu-like clothesline to rip Endo's head in half. It was devastating looking, and that was the big turning point to finish it off. Endo does kick out of the double-team move, but then it built uh, for Ueno to finish him off uh, with his flipping STO to pin the champion. Post-match, we get the Korokin announcement of Ueno versus Endo for the title. Part 2, fuck yes, take my money. I wanted more after that week at week 6 showing. I said, man, I wanted this to be a build for a bigger show. Check and double check. Getting all that. That is great. Also to note that this tag team Nautilus is no joke. I have yet to see a bad match from them, and they have been must-see from DDT. Between them and then the, uh, the various teams in AEW, Best Friends, Omega Page, Los Sex Gods, uh, they're all in the running for Tag Team of the Year at this halfway point. And I say you could throw in Sekimoto and Kohei Sato in the mix as well uh, because of their just top-notch uh, tag matches they've had in 2020 over in uh, uh, Big Japan there. So, fantastic stuff from DDT. We get our, that wasn't the main event. I had, I had already forgotten at that point, but we had uh, Chris Brooks and, the, and Daisuke Sasaki for the Universal title. Uh, this was fine. Um, I mean, it, it's been a it's been building for months now of Brooks chasing after uh, the universal title that S uh, Sasaki has, uh, and Sasaki keeps ducking him. Various hardcore matches. It went twenty four minutes. Um, the first, I want to say three fourths of it, didn't feel like much. It just kind of felt like they were going through the motions. I'm not the biggest Daisuke Sasaki fan. But he, he seems to always be on that show. Uh, the big moment here was Chris Brooks slingshot cutters the ref by accident when Sasaki pushes him into line the, the line of fire. That's when we get some all-out, or uh, yeah, no, damnation interference in which Chris Brooks avoids them all. The sign that Sasaki carries out gets cracked over Sasaki's head. There's a little back and forth there from there, kicking out various moves. A table is involved in which Chris Brooks... Uh, Praying Mantis bombs Sasaki through the table. Uh, they get back in the ring. There's more near falls. So this, you know, you can kind of tell just by me saying all this and repeating it that the match probably overstayed its welcome a lot. It kind of takes you out of it. Uh, and then it ends off a wild Chris Brooks roll-up pin uh, with clutching the legs and turning it inside out. So he wins the title back. 
he I, if I recall and based on his promo a little bit there, he lost the title just as the coronavirus hit, and he's won the title just as the fans are coming back in Japan. That's a nice little side story there to add to Brooks winning the title. Uh, there was a little post-match thing, I guess, where they're building up for TV show 9, where Brooks is against a horny Ronald McDonald character. Uh, yes, I said that right. You didn't miss hair. It, it is DDT at the end of the day. Uh, very odd stuff to finish the show, but a nice little message done the least. And Chris Brooks, hey, he, he's been he's been a, uh, a good... A good Gaijin player for DDT in 2020. And that does it for DDT. Uh, I really enjoyed all three shows. The Yuki Ueno and the Endo stuff was the primetime must-see TV. And because of this and how glued to it all I was, and the better performers, I think in this case, gives DDT the first win over AEW. So in... The war, this will include that USA-Europe war, DDT gets that first win. And that brings the uh, total count on that, 9AW to DDT4, because uh, the Puro stuff is going to cross over there for DDT. So, um, the next one uh, is Fighter Fest for AW, and then the one after that is... Uh, the Corican show. So I could easily see uh, DDT and AEW given, you know, splitting it back-to-back week or back-to-back podcast there. With that, I will uh, move on to uh, the Joshi section. Alrighty, I hope you guys love, love, love this podcast so far. It is time to talk the Joshi War. Ice Ribbon versus Stardom. I know internationally Stardom has uh, the more well-known name, but let's not discount Ice Ribbon. But yes, that was Julia's music, Giulia. As I was learning that name, I still quite like making fun of it. Stardom! Has their first show. June 21st, Stardom is again at Shinkiba, which is kind of funny since uh, I'll be talking about an Ice Ribbon show that also took place at Shinkiba here in a little bit. Yes, Stardom's back. Um, they, uh, they've had their long hiatus. Uh, it's a very emotional time in the Stardom world and the Stardom fandom uh, with what, what's been going on. The Unfortunate early retirement of Arisa Hoshiki, who's, who was surely uh, being built for a major, major, major main event push. She was, she was on the brink of probably beating the white belt defense record, and then spoken about this, and if you're you know, the uh, unfortunate suicide of Hanakamura, and that aura uh, was definitely felt on this show. Um... I found myself having a lot of difficulty just watching a stardom show. This took me days to just find the just kind of motivation to sit down and watch stardom. And yeah, I mean, fuck, man. They did the 10 bell salute for Hanakamura. Then Jungle Kiona came out and she's not mentally ready 
Uh, her feelings are still very conflicted. She cut a promo just telling us to wait, and I, you know, who could possibly uh, not understand her feelings on this? Uh, so we start the show with Rena in. She, her whole character is the Hanukkah cosplay. She looked up to Hanukkah and her being there doing her mannerisms. Uh, winning the match against Hina Natsu Sumire, uh with the Hydrangea submission in 8:55. Like, man, I just, I just had such a hard time just concentrating on this. Natsu Sumire being a model performer, just trying to get me to be entertained and have fun watching Stardom. You know, I, my God, I applaud her for what she was able to do to, to start the show and try and get the fans behind her and just take your mind off it and get back into that watch stardom mentality uh, this was followed by death yamasan taking on blonde hair new gear saki kashima five minute match death yamasan absolutely hysterical so yes uh you know kudos to stardom knowing that yes try to try to bring smiles to our faces I, I totally understand that, and Death Yamasan and the and the Saki Kashima combination here brought a smile to my face. Uh, death trying to do her uh, death, death, death Yama death, and Saki taking her from uh, side ringside to ringside and stopping her from doing it <laughs> each time to the crowd. Then the ref gets involved and she boots the ref out of the way. Great. It was comedic uh, timing uh, to a T. To a uh, great stuff, and Death got the win. Um, this was followed by a... My God, this was horrible. Uh, Konami defeats Natsugotora by disqualification. Now... Before the show, they did pre pre match team promos because the whole show was built off of not even the wrestlers know they're going to go out there and have a match, uh, or who whom they're against. Uh, so right, so we're we're supposed to believe that uh, everything was on the fly, right? So Konami's with uh, the fellow TCS members, uh, not um, jung not jungle is there. So, Konami cuts this promo with Rina and uh, Death there, and they got the TCS flag there. I didn't even mention that Rina came out to Hanakamura's music, which, you know what, I should just play that right now, just in remembrance, because it's, it's just on my mind. You blocked me on Facebook, and now you're going to die. Also gave me a second to collect my thoughts here. So Konami goes, Hana, are you watching? Are you are are you gonna cheer us on? Your spirits here. Konami, like you can tell the difference between how a per how two people handle grief of their friend. Konami's trying to see carry on her spirit in the ring like Hana would probably want. And then Jungle 
is dealing with it with her own way in a more somber attitude. Before Konami even steps in the ring, she does the prayer, she puts her hands together in prayer, and she steps in. And now, as a match itself, this was total tone deaf and a sense of Natsuko Tora not knowing how to do a heel character. So, I'm just going to skip to how this went down. Natsuko Tora has this chain now, and she's supposed to be a heel, but she doesn't know how to be a heel. Konami was doing her best to do her thing, but they just didn't gel and they didn't click. Natsuko Tora at one point gets the chain, and the ref just takes it away. And then there's finally a ref bump. So she gets the chain, so you're like, okay, she finally gets the chain. She's going she's gonna to hit her with it, she's going to clock her with it. You know, full Dump Matsumoto style, right? No. She... Konami's down, she throws the chain on her stomach, and she does a frog splash and goes for the pin. What? Makes no sense. It really took a lot away from the match. Then she starts beating her with it, and then as the ref gets up, she puts Konami, uh, she starts choking Konami out with the chain, and she just gets DQ'd. I don't know what the idea or plan is here with Natsuko Tora, but someone needs to tell her, Julia's a great heel, a more, a more, uh, you root for the badassness kind of heel, but he, Julia does more heel tactics and techniques than Tora, so she needs to figure this shit out quick, because this was horrid. A great match that took place was the Queen's Quest versus Queen's Quest tag that went to a 20-minute time limit draw. Azumi and Momo, the previous goddess of title challengers taking on the next goddess of title uh, title challengers or no it was momo and utami and then saya wanted to challenge and have utami as her partner so there it's it was a proving match right it was momo's uh leadership wanting if you're going to challenge for the tag titles you got to kind of go through Azumi and myself, the leader, prove to me that you're worthy. And boy, did they do that. Uh, Saya and Utami have new gear. Utami's got blonde hair now, so dyeing your 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 hair blonde is a is a running theme in Stardom right now. Azumi's right there uh, with her, but everyone's got new gear. Tassels aplenty throughout Stardom. Saya looks like her tassels are so long that she's gonna choke in them. <laughs> uh, Utami's got this Tatanka-type outfit now. I kind of feel like she should add a tomahawk chop to her arsenal. Um, yes, Sai is very much a rookie. She has a long way to go still. There was a lot of mis miscues, mistimings, things not connecting. Uh, but Utami really brought it to the match. Momo and Azumi knowing just how to gel together and work with these two. Uh, it was a match that served its purpose and proved... At least to Momo, in her promo post-match, she was probably an immature leader. She should have believed in them. And, hey, you proved me the leader wrong. Hey, that's great leadership, a good leadership promo. We're moving on, right? So good stuff there. Uh, big thumbs up. And then our main event was an eight-man tag match. Uh, Donald Del Mundo with new member Himika. Uh, Jumbo Princess Himika is what they're calling her. Uh, taking on the team of stars of Mayu, Saeida, Starlight Kid, and Tam Nakano. 23 minutes, 28 seconds. Went a little long, I will admit, uh, but it didn't detract totally. 
the key points here is is definitely at least I think the tandem one on one between Julia against Tam Nakano, in which we saw Julia do the hesitation run up uh, boots boot boots in the rope that Hanakamura would do, and she's got to keep this move. Uh, Julia already had the running. Uh, she does a lot of running boots, and you know her being Hanakamura's last rival. Uh, this works perfectly for her character. It works perfectly for kind of keeping on the spirit of Hanakamura. Uh, yes, I love this. And then Tam Nakano trying to pull out the the uh, top rope um, roundhouse kick, as you would call it, but it looks absolutely atrocious. She just kind of leaps off awkwardly and lands on her knees that just looks like she's going to break a leg. Uh, so she's trying to she's trying to keep on Aris's spirit in her own way, but uh, just going on with that. Tam versus Julia was the major highlight of the show for me. Uh, they look like they wanted to beat the hell out of each other. They want to be uh, the next white belt champion, and I totally see at a big show down the line that it's going to be Julia challenge uh, Julia versus Tam for the vacant white title. I definitely see that. Or Julia cashes in for a big red red belt title shot, and then there's a different sort of white belt match made, uh, in which I could see Julia losing to Mayu Iwatani. So that that's very there's a lot of good possibilities here that they can go in any direction for stardom. So a very emotional show, uh, a very simplistic show. They definitely uh got me with the comedy and then took it serious in the back end. Uh you know, house show type, uh, but a very successful one to say the least. But how did that match up to what Ice Ribbon was putting out lately? Uh, as I play the drop and we move along here uh, to what's next. Where are you? Uh-oh. Where am I a drop? Uh, oh my. What a disaster. There it is. Yes, all right. Hope you guys don't mind. I hope I got the air conditioner out of the uh, background noise there. But regardless, still here. Ice Ribbon. Show 1046, Yokohama Ribbon. The big title match show we've been waiting for all year. Maya Yukihi defending the Infinity title against Suzu Suzuki. Where will this... Results take uh, take Ice Ribbon into the future or for the remainder of the year. How is it gonna? How do we see it playing out, leading to their giant show at the end of the year of Ribbon Mania? But let's get to the beginning of the show right quick. I want to skip to the main event as quickly as possible. Tag team match: Micah, Ozaki, and Yappy defeat Fujita and Kurumi. Uh, Micah pins Fujita with the second rope hang time senton. Surprisingly, ten minutes thirty six seconds. Uh, yeah, fine. It looks like they're gonna they're trying to get some animosity here between Akane and Haragi going forward. Perhaps another singles match between those two. Uh, Ram Kaicho and Totoro defeated Matsuyu Uno and Tehonma, 11-22. Totoro pins Honma, shockingly, with a running Michinoku driver of all things, which is a 
which was crazy, set him up, setting up a future triangle title match uh, between Totoro, uh, Tsukasa Fujimoto, and Honma. Makes sense all there. Uh, Chon Shiryu defeats Mochi Miyagi, 926. Uh, Fujimoto defeats the rookie now Ishikawa in 1046. Just beating the hell out of her. Not enough kicking, I would say. And then Ibuki Hoshi uh, teamed with Risa Sara and Tsukushi, defeating Bani Okawa, uh, Hamako Hoshi, and Tekla, 1625. This was super long. Uh, Ibuki, I think, pinned Bani, but can't really comment because the feed was so choppy and horrible and the frame rate that this match was just impossible to watch. So uh, clearly they're still setting up that Ibuki versus Hamako uh, Juku title match down the line, and it did indeed happen at the 1047, 1048 show, which I'll talk about here. So now, the main event, Mayakihi taking on Suzu Suzuki, went 18 minutes, 34 seconds, almost identical in time to the Arisa Asuka match that I spoke about at the top of the show from the Seedling show. To me, this was a Joshi match of the year contender. It went four minutes longer than their first encounter back at the end of November in 2019. The breakout match for Suzu Suzuki, in my mind, where she started busting out that springboard dropkick. Uh, almost immediately out of the gate, Maya starts mocking Suzu uh, by mocking her guru she does before big kicks. Uh, this set up the heel arrogant Maya very well and had at least myself totally convinced this was going to be the story of Maya's downfall to the match. So, excellent character work from the get-go. I did have to watch this match twice, though, because there were frame rate issues from the Nico, Nico feed, uh, so this really downplayed how uh, I got pissed off that first time watching it. Uh, so, this match was a straight-up top-me kind of battle, right? Whatever you, you can do, I can do better. Lots of focus on kicking. Who could kick the hardest to keep the other down. Not a whole lot of moves, if you know what I mean. Uh, it was the story of the 17-year-old uh, fighting from under, trying to topple the unstoppable arrogant champion that Maya's become uh, with her new personality and joining Rebel Enemy, or creating Rebel Enemy. The match was put together, I thought, great. I was invested the entire time. Uh, this is probably the biggest match fee uh, feel in Joshi uh, for the year of 2020. It kept me hoping for that Suzu big counter kicker reversal to mount her comeback, and boy did she. There was a couple inst instances of training strong style strikes, which they sure did lay it in, uh, be it a forearm or straight kick to the chest kind of combination there. No holding back. It was great. There was a rough couple spots, like an overshot flip, uh, flip over stunner that Maya ended up getting her head driven into the mat. A rough STO moment uh, to follow. I thought nothing, nothing major. I've spoken about this on the past. When things get a little rough, it could very much add to the match. It adds to that exhaustion element. It adds to that, oh, if she would have hit that better, uh, perhaps the match could have ended or uh, the, the, the higher momentum would have been in her favor, in this case, Suzu's favor, the 17-year-old not quite hitting her key moves in those key moments to get that advantage on the seemingly unstoppable champion. So yeah, um, nothing major. 
though. Uh, now, where the match, unfortunately to me, falls a bit uh, is the finish. Unlike the Karumi match, where it was all set up, right, with the, with the leg work, counters, this one ends with Maya countering into her kick, which she, which she does, you know, that one counter, she gets that big smirk on her face, I gotcha, motherfucker, you're done, and sure enough, 17-year-old Suzu fell into that same trap as many uh, before her have fallen, right? So, counter kick, finishes Suzu off with the Tiger Driver, and we're done. They went home. Uh, very anticlimactic, really. I thought they could have uh, built this up into... Uh, a much better, much better finish. Maybe, maybe Suzu kicks out of a Tiger Driver, and then that leads into Maya uh, needing to hit the the uh, the step up knee, and then she pins her. You know, do one more move. Don't hit. No reason to hit the the flipping senton, but do one. Maybe another Tiger Driver, and that would do it. Uh, it did. You know, there there were some near falls uh, before that though that got the crowd to gasp and clap sometimes but no mostly this crowd seemed to not know who to root for nor to react to so just not a lot of crowd reaction in this match uh throughout and so maybe this was all anticipated uh with just not running shows not knowing how much suzu would have the crowd behind her maybe the maybe the crowd just didn't know to cheer or boo maya with her long title reign. Uh, so, th so with that in mind, and with the prediction of where Ice Ribbon should have gone with this result, and Maya beating Suzu Suzuki, I think, and I was torn on this for a while, that I think this was the right decision. My initial thought was, why would you beat Suzu? And... With Maya's title reign, and seemingly have gone has gone through the whole roster to this point. Now that fans have come back, this is now your opportunity to now Suzu has this big uh, build that she can do with fans, and the more you get the fans behind her, the more that it will build up who she is and her importance to the promotion and her star power. So now with Maya having lost to uh, Hoshi, Hamako Hoshi, that's your next challenger. Uh, as weird as it is to say that, it does make sense in a weird way. Hamako is the veteran. She is a former champion, like it or not. She did. She is the last one to beat Maya in one-on-one -on -one competition, first time in a while. She is goofy, she is a crowd favorite. It's a safe story to tell there, a safe match. Maya can have a good match with Hamako, as we've seen. Do it again in fans, okay. Uh, Suzu sophomore year chase is a good story to tell. Have her big moment at year's end at Ribbon Mania, or... What you can do is have another challenge in Osaka, Isaka, which seems more likely at this point. And my thoughts are really leaning towards a bigger Sakushi redemption story, with her taking the title at Osaka Ribbon. And that gets her 
redemption story done and over with a big win main event she is a she is a big big star of ice ribbon and then she could hold it for the remainder of the year and lose it to suzu at ribbon mania i think this is the best way to go and no you don't have to have maya lose it there but it is a big match and it could also tell the bigger redemption story of Sukushi now chasing. So, either way, it ends with the same of Suzu title reign beginning uh, at Ribbon Mania at year's end. Uh, whom she beats is kind of here and there into that. And then, uh, just right quick, 1048 at Shinkiba, Yappy defeats now, 6 minutes. Banyo Kaiwa and Uno defeats uh, Tekla and Shiryu. In 11 minutes, which sets up Tekla defending her uh, underground title against Uno, because she uh, she's now lost to Uno twice, I believe. Uh, Risa Sarah and Suzu Suzuki is a great tag team. I love them. They defeated Ozaka, Ozaki, and Sakushi in a 16-minute match. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That was probably my match of the night. Uh, there was the six-man tag of Maya, Rom, and Rina. Uh, Rebel Enemy defeating the Frank Sisters, so a great six-man tag. It was very short and sweet, to the point. Just under four, 14 minutes. Everyone looked great. It took it, it got Rebel Enemy over, over the big Frank Sisters trio. Hey, that's a big thumbs up. And the triangle match was also really good. A 10-minute, 48-second match. Honma retains over Totoro and Fujimoto, so Fujimoto actually lost another triple threat, another three-way, and Homa arm bars Totoro to death, another big thumbs up. And then, of course, our 14-minute main event that lasted way too long, it was extremely messy, Hamako Hoshi defeats her daughter and Ibuki, this was a total mess, it was not very good, uh, Hamako, you know, mother-daughter, they know each other well, it's just not a good match, it's not enticing, uh, they probably should have saved this for a smaller show or a bigger show and it be in the mid card. Definitely not the main event. This was uh, definitely a thumbs down from me. I didn't like it. Uh, I just don't know where they're going now with the Juku title, what the plan is. Um, but yeah, Hamako called out Maya again, setting up their July title match. Uh, it's it's going to happen soon. So perhaps we'll uh, watch in time for the next podcast. And that does it for Ice Ribbon and Stardom. Uh, I really, really enjoyed a lot of what, uh, a lot of the three ways, a lot of the uh, building going on in Ice Ribbon. It was just a more impactful show. So in the Joshi War, I am giving the points to Ice Ribbon. And that takes us into Ice Ribbon's lead of 8-4 to four, uh, going forward. So, yes. Um, needless to say, uh, DDT is catching up on AEW, it being 4-9 uh, to nine at this point. Um, yeah, we, we can definitely see that uh, prom with promotions coming back that it's going to get interesting going forward. I have a feeling Stardom is going to pull out some big stops here. And we'll see how the, the war continues. And I will play uh, my next drop. That will, I believe, take me into the Puro War Dragon. Dragon Day!
All right, everybody, back with the Puroso Wrestling War, Dragon Gate versus New Japan. Finally, we get to talk Dragon Gate versus New Japan for the first time in months because we got Rainbow Gate going on and the start of the New Japan Cup. It's finally happening. New Japan's doing an empty arena shows. Uh, and Dragon Gate announced fans will be will be returning to their shows starting July 4th. So luckily, uh, at the end of the DDT show, you know, Chris Brooks telling, you know, the fans uh, uh, his promo. And here we are, Dragon Gate really seemingly ramping up uh, their stories again as they're getting ready to uh, return for the fans. So I got the feeling they... This Rainbow Gate show uh, was all about finishing the coronavirus period stories uh, or kicking them off further into its climax, uh, getting ready for the July shows, and then getting back to the whole Yamato BB Hulk feud, uh, really getting the faction warfare back going, etc., etc. But before I do that, I do want to make a an announcement that... Um, uh, there's something in the works for me to possibly do uh, retro write-ups uh, on a website uh, based on what I cover on uh, the podcast here. Uh, it's not official yet, but just keep your eyes open on Twitter at BowlingJD for any further announcements in that regard. And I want to plug a friend of the podcast. Uh, his name's Kay. Uh, he's in the podcast Discord, uh, Redleaf Retrocast. Hit me up on Twitter if you want to join. Uh, he does a new podcast called the Big Egg Joshi Podcast. I listen to it on Spotify. He does little uh, historical lessons, uh, little lessons over various Joshi promotions and how to get into them, who's relevant to them. So, uh, you know, his first episodes over, uh, I believe it's his favorite Joshi promotion, uh, Actress Girls. And he did a small little historical thing over JD Starr. And then he's done two parts over Ice Ribbon, which is uh, something near and dear to my heart. So uh, go give him a listen. Go ahead, give him a try. Big Egg Joshi Podcast. And he's uh, working to get into the podcast world and see what you think if you're into Joshi wrestling. Uh, but yes, back to Dragon Gate here. Uh, Rainbow Gate started June 13th and released uh, on their little one match at a time formats uh, over the course of the few weekends here. Uh, we got uh, Jason Lee, UT, and Oji Shiba uh, taking on Yosuke, Santa Maria, Kota Minora, and Hoho Loon. Kind of a future of Dragon Gate type match, and uh, UT is returning from injury after, uh, you know, he's getting back into a normal setting. He had his little return match against Ultimo Dragon. Uh, UT and Minora start off the match to immediately make me a happy wrestling fan. A simple future of Dragon Gate style trios match. Got to see the fast paced action we like, and it finished with Santa Maria looking damn strong and getting that pin over Shiba. Post match, Santa Maria calls out Susumu for an All Japan junior title shot, uh, and then makes it a three way because, as I found out, uh, Hokuto Omori from All Japan already had a title match set with Susumu. And this is going to take place in a Dragon Gate ring. And then we were, uh, the next day, we were treated to the three way elimination match between Susumu, Santa Maria, and the great white North Wolf, whatever his moniker is, uh, Hokuto Omori. Um, I didn't know it was an elimination match at first. 
I thought it was just a regular triple threat. Uh, but here we are. Santa Maria was hot fire in this match from the get-go. Uh, wouldn't ever not be a fan of Santa Maria's fire side, but I seemingly will never be a fan of her antics side. Uh, you, you'll know what I mean if you've ever watched a Santa Maria match. Uh, but yes, the wrestling and the fire side, give me that. Uh, she shows off what she can do, but unfortunately receives a lariat from Susumu and eats an excellent high-angle German from Omori to be the first eliminated. Because here I was thinking it was just, right again, it was a regular triple threat match, and two things were going to happen. Santa Maria eats the pin, and whomever wins uh, moves on, or uh, Santa Maria would win the match and keep the title fresh in Dragon Gate, or go to All Japan and face Omori in a singles match there. Anything to really either keep Susumu strong, or change the title right and uh what ended up happening there was uh from there we got the great high energy exchange from omori to susumu's obviously con uh, uh consistent technical pace adding in his lariats when needed if you've seen a susumu match you always see this in the end that's all we needed uh to put omori away this is the best three-way i feel like i've seen in ages uh because it's seemingly every three-way match i see these days ends with um Guy hits his finisher and then gets tossed out by the third party and they end up winning. So I get a th I give a thumbs up to this three way. Quite liked it. Uh, we're followed by Shimizu defeating Dragon Daya, a singles match. Short version is third times the charm for Big 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 R here. His losing ways are are a, a thing of the past for now. With this big W for him. Dragon Daya eats his first non-tournament pin since, oh man, I want to say November last year. Uh, basically what happened is he went for his Reptilian Rana, but Big R, uh, being pinned on this thing one too many times, finally counters it into multiple power bombs and ends with the shot put choke slam. A fun, easy match. I'm... We end up seeing uh, how this plays into the grander scheme of things, with R.E.D. and uh, their future ambitions, I guess, with this Big R win, how those matches play into uh, effect. I do question why now it's okay to beat Dragon Daya. I, I get he's still the Triangle Champion uh, with Ben K and SMJ, Strong Machine J, that is. Oh, hello, Kitty Cat. What's up? What you doing? Come on. Come here. Come here. Get off the mic table, please. There you go. Okay. Let's see how long that lasts. So yeah, I'm I'm curious to see if they're gonna continue keeping Dragon Daya the strong, or was the tournament loss uh the start to Dragon Daya being dialed back down a bit. Not sure why exactly you would do that. My theory is simply not ready yet, and getting that strong push for a little while uh was more or less him going just for just a little bit further up the card. He's kind of reached that plateau for now. Uh, Naruki Doi and Dragon Kid lose to Eita and Diamante. Uh, the match was fine, but the finish was underwhelming. Eita throws Doi out, counters into the super kick on Dragon Kid. Diamante hits the Dirty Dancing Bomb, aka the Vuelta Finale. Pins him. TV type match. This did nothing to further the rivalry and story of Eita versus Dra um, Naruki Doi. Uh, kind of disappointed there. That's something that I've reiterated with Dragon Gate in 2020 is they're not doing a good enough job uh, on shows like these 
uh, to get you the the uh, the fan hype for the rivalry in their eventual uh, Drag- Dreamgate title match. Uh, ben K and Koto K- uh, Kento Kabune in the tag match. They lose to Yoshida and Hio of R.E.D. So yes, here you go. All the Triangle Gate uh, champions lost on this day. Uh, so clearly this sets up a Big R, Yoshida, Hio uh, Triangle Gate match later down the line. Uh, this finish absolutely sucked. Ben K disappears for no reason at the end of the match. Hio low blows Kabune and just rolls him up. I'm very totally lost on the decision of how this went down. So we'll see if uh, at least the title match will be better than what we got here. Open the Brave Gate Championship match. This is something we've been heavily, heavily waiting for. Uh, it's Ishida taking on the challenger uh, Keisuke Okuda, the hottest rivalry in currently ongoing in Dragon Gate during the COVID era. Uh, so Ishida retains after getting caught in a choke. Uh, R.E.D. then hits the ring. Uh, powder, Yoshida clothesline, BBB Hulk, uh, BB Hulk kick. Flying Sausage from Shimizu, and Ishida gets the pin. So, I really enjoyed this match. I love the fire. I love the... Uh, uh, I love what Ishida has become in 2020. Uh, more and more, really coming come to his own. The matches are always very solid, and Okuda really showed up to play here. It makes no sense why anyone from Team Dragon Gate wouldn't help out or try to stop R.E.D. from... From doing this, which was my biggest issue of why I didn't like the finish very much. I don't know what the real point to this was without that. Uh, it didn't totally ruin the match for me. It's still very exciting. It, it definitely gives me a lot of... It, it gives Okuda an out where he can now seemingly realistically challenge again for the title and have it in front of fans, right? Um... So beside, you know, maybe you keep the powder spot uh, doing that. That would be okay. Just the the R.E.D. interference was, I think, overkill without someone helping Okuda. Um, the improvement on Ishida's stock continues to rise and deliver time and time again. Okuda is still pretty rough in areas. Like, there was one spot where he want, goes to hit the ropes, completely misses the top rope, almost wrecks himself falling outside, but he luckily catches himself enough to stay on the middle rope. And uh, so that was pretty scary. This reminded me of what you'd see from a modern uh, WWE NXT match. Good match until the finish. That's the the catchphrase there. Um, standard tag match uh, was uh, the following weekend. Ultimo Dragon and Genki Horiguchi and Ryo Saito. Uh, they take on Yamato, KZ, SMJ. SMJ pin Saito. Didn't like what this one much at all. Lots of weird comedy. It just didn't click with me. Uh, Taketo Kame versus Kagatora. This was good. This was a good competitive match. Uh, Kame had a great showing with a few near falls. Also kicked out of the Brain Buster, which, you know, in, in Young Lion terms, if you're familiar with Dragon Gate or just old New Japan matches or old jo- uh, Puro, Joshi, Puro matches where you have a young, a young lion, right, type, and anytime they face someone like a Kagatora, they get a little bit further. Like, they, 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 let's say, six months ago, they lose to that Brain Buster, and now he's kicking out of it, and uh, this time, Kagatora wins with the Last of the Dragon move, 
And um, excellent, so solid showing from Kagatora. He really showed up for work in this match. Uh, nice one here. I Again, I really enjoyed this. Um, tag match, Dragon Gate versus R.E.D. That's uh, Okuda teaming with Jason Lee. Great combination. I do like these two. Versus Ishida and Hyo. Okuda jumps Ish Ishida at the bell. And they brawl at first until calming down to a basic tag affair. Yeah, standard Dragon Gate tag match highlighting the clear continuation of the Okuda-Ishida uh, story there. Okuda wins and still has his set, sights set on Ishida. Fine, nothing spectacular, but it made it clear to me that the Okuda-Ishida thing is not done, which was really nice to see. Naruki Doi and Genki Horiguchi lose to KZ Jimmy, KZ and Jimmy, uh, as KZ hits his running back elbow on Genki for the win. So kind of a repeat of that trios match, basically, that I didn't quite care for. Um, Yamato, UT, and Kota Minora. Uh, this is a trios match of Dragon Gate versus an RED team of Eita, BB Hulk, and Big R Samiju. Uh, this was definitely something I recommend as well. This was seemingly to reignite that BB Hulk. Uh, it reignited BB Hulk in the ring, and boy did he look great. There's this sequence versus Yamato reigniting their feud, but this is where BB Hulk's speed was reaching pre-broken neck Hulk, and his kicks were just so on point. To finish it all off of the sequence, he does a he does a corkscrew splash on Yamato. Awesome. Uh, let's get this feud back going again. Indeed, very fun trios match here. Ends with another Shimizu shot, shot put slam to pin UT this time. So. We could be looking at Shimizu, yes, getting back on the winning track, and he's and he's pinning these, uh, he pinned Dragon Daya, now he pinned UT here, so he's winning for his team. Very interesting, let's keep that in mind. Now we have the Triangle Gate Championship match. Uh, that's the that's our champions, Ben K, SMJ, and Dragon Daya, taking on uh, Masato Yoshino, Don Fuji, and Yasushi Kanda. So this is, um, I don't really remember why this match came to be. You'd think it'd be the RED team, but they did already wrestle. Uh, this match had its ups and downs for me. It was extremely solid and worked, but lacked that total investment, you know, and anticipation going in. Because here I was thinking that the RED team was going to be the challengers. I didn't, I don't quite remember why uh, the Yoshino team is here. Uh, I don't even think they were the champions that beat them, actually. Or the um, champions that were beaten. Uh, Yoshino versus Benkei was a very good matchup there, and more than halfway through, got a real good ex-submission choke. Uh, Yoshino uh, does when he had Benkei dead to, dead to rights just before uh, SMJ was able to break this up. Uh, and uh, the finish of this was absolutely excellent. Uh, what happens is Benkei cuts Fuji in half with his big spear, uh, and Konda and SMJ take the ref out accidentally as uh, as Konda's trying to break up the pin, and SMJ tries to leap and stop him. They land on the ref, and R.E.D. immediately runs from the back, Eita included, uh, just jumps Yoshino, trying to screw him. Uh, so they're continuing the Eita Yoshino story, which is a big part of my... Uh, prediction of how Ata's King of Gate uh, uh, post King of Gate situation is going to be is going after Yoshino. Yoshino does manage to avoid disaster from R.E.D., but then Dragon Daya hits the ring, 
hits the ropes, hits the reti- reptilian Rana, and pins Yoshino, surprisingly enough. A huge win for Daya and his team. Um, so Daya, yes, he lost to Shimizu, but this is a huge, huge victory, getting the pin over the big Yoshino. Uh, this show absolutely nailed in getting the stories and feuds back on track and ready for those shows in July coming with fans. I am ready. It's uh, it's a good time to anticipate what's coming for Dragon Gate going forward in 2020. Uh, I have no idea what Yoshino Noreta exactly said post-match, but I can kind of guess with uh, with the storyline going. Um, but I'm really curious to what Eita had to say about Shimizu. I have my guesses that he's not happy with how Shimizu kind of screwed the pooch on them exactly screwing Yoshino, because that could have easily backfired into Yoshino winning the titles, which was the uh, opposite of what they wanted. So, big win for uh, Dragon Gate there uh, on that note. Uh, New Japan Cup update. Uh, but first, I'm going to play my drop for New Japan. Gotta get my notes here. Got a little message. What's going on? Let's see. Ah, okay. Just Jay from the Smack It Down podcast. He's messaging me. All right. New Japan Cup is back, boys. Uh, this is going to be more or less a, uh, a, a quick review. My top three matches of uh, New Japan, all, all uh, the New Japan Cup so far. Um, we're five days into it, uh, just a small, just a little bit into, um, out of the first round. Uh, my day one recommended match is, is, uh, from Honma, which he lost to Hiromu in a battle of the busted necks. Hiromu pulled off a DVD on the apron to Honma, because I guess their necks were too intact this week. Uh, so just insane, and the way this was worked definitely, I think, pulled the viewer in. So bravo to these guys. Getting, I mean, if you had any of your doubts that Hiromu Takahashi isn't one of the best in the world, definitely watch this match. Uh, and then Ishii defeated Desperado via the Brain Buster. This was, mwah, mwah. this is my third favorite match of what we've seen so far from the New Japan Cup. Ishii looks to be moving better after the break, and the dynamic of working with a junior heavyweight is is and someone we seemingly rarely see fight in singles matches. So. Uh, someone like Ishii, this was real fun to watch. I recommend it. Uh, Desperado was very... I want to see more Desperado singles matches going forward. Um, and then the other results from day one were Makabe defeats uh, Suji, Makabe's best match in ages, arguably. Yano defeats Jado in possibly the worst match in ages in, in New Japan, actually. So, uh, tale of two stories there. Uh, day two. Oh my god, day two. Fucking Yuji Nagata defeats Minoru Suzuki. Uh, both guys beat each other up to look like old hot dogs in the battle of the grumpy dads fighting in the driveway. Uh, that is a New Japan ring. Uh, Moses and Shiva bless these two for giving us the greatest wrestling match ever on this day. <laughs> uh, the finish was awesome too as Nagata hits a back suplex uh, bridging pin to win after this battle. 20 minutes. 36 seconds. It was just two dudes forearming each other. Uh, 
going back and forth. There's a small brawl outside with with uh, Suzuki. They get back in the ring. Nagata's firing up with his kicks. Uh, essentially lures uh, the laughing Minoru Suzuki, Minoru Suzuki into Nagata's wheelhouse, and that's when uh, Nagata ducks, uh, hits hits his back suplex pin. I believe that was the only pin attempt in the entire match. I adored this match. It's one of my favorite of the empty arena era. Uh, and then other results include Okada defeats Ghetto in a long bad match. I'm kind of insulted that the New Japan faithful would treat me to this and make me uh, believe that the uh, quote-unquote greatest IWGP heavyweight champion of all time goes like 18 minutes against Gato or however long it was. Maybe half a century for all I know. Uh, this was atrocious. Uh, very disappointed. Ishimori defeats Gabriel Kidd. Fine. Kanemaru defeats swole-looking Uimura. God, he looks... He, you know, he must be training with uh, 252-pound Benkei or something, or Ojishiba. Nonsense what this guy looks like now. Day three. Uh, this is my second favorite, so now we have our, our uh, my, my top three already. Sho defeats Shingo in something I... Absolutely expected because, of course, I figured out a scenario for Shingo to win, and I love Shingo. Therefore, he's losing the show in the first round, so I called that one. It was a kick-out fast, hard-tough type match. Uh, Sho even looked shocked uh, after following up with a slow-ass arm lock that he did. Uh, he transfers that into a cross-arm pile driver. Great look on his face where he's like, I fucking got him? Holy shit! He follows through with the shock arrow to win. The It's his biggest win of his career, no doubt. Uh, probably sets up an open weight uh, title match versus Shingo at Dominion. So hopefully Shingo's neck is all right, getting dumped the way he did. Uh, these two gelled so well together. Uh, at this was this this is the type of match where you forget there's there's no crowd because of the way they worked, because of the way they timed everything out, because of the hard hitting. These two just. Yeah, they, these two just got it, right? It's like watching uh, Daniel Bryan. He just knows what to do in any situation. Or Bryan Danielson, mind you. Um, other results included Sonata defeats uh, Taguchi. Ibushi defeats uh, Zack Sabre Jr. via... Uh, he does a knee, knee... So, Zack Sabre Jr. goes for um, kind of a, the wrestling shoot at the knee. And Ibushi just fucking buries him with a with a big knee to the face hits a kamagoye to win uh so that i mean the match was fine it was just it didn't work very well in the empty arena um taichi defeats tanahashi clean as a whistle uh i didn't think this match was bad but i don't think it was great right it was fine maybe even good cuz tanahashi is that type of guy where you're gonna work, right? Tanahashi's gonna make you do do shit. And uh, Taichi did shit, so therefore, match was fine. Very interesting. Uh, due to the result of this match, I'm, I'm, uh, I listen to various, uh, whether it's The Torch, Wrestling Observer uh, Radio, uh, Pro Wrestling Boom, etc. Uh, they all kind of have a theory that they this is an opportunity for Taichi to possibly win the New Japan Cup, which is very interesting. This this could be uh, the time where they they pump him forward. Uh, interesting theory. 
I personally don't see him beating Ibushi, <laughs> uh, but anything's possible, I suppose. Day four results. This was definitely the weakest of the shows, just not very interesting. Bushi defeats Yo. Yoshihashi defeats Tenzan. Better than expected match. Goto defeats Yujiro. And Evil defeats Kojima. Not so great, in my opinion. Uh, day five, start of the second round. Ishii defeats Makabe. A big thick man lariat match. It gives a good picture in your head. Hiromu defeats Yano in a hilarious one. Uh, Hiromu wins via tying up uh, Yano's hands and blindfolds him. Then throws him in the elevator. And sends him to the lower floors. Hiromu, meanwhile, was tied to um, Uemura. So he has to three-legged race his way back into the ring before the countout. Uh, very funny, very fun. Uh, Hiromu even came to the ring looking all worried like he's going to get jumped from behind. He had a big uh, uh, construction worker's hard hat on. It was funny. And then Okada defeats Nagata in a 20-minute, 14-minute, 20-minute, 14-second match. I really liked more Nagata here, uh, honestly. Very great seeing him go in these first two rounds. Uh, I was really hoping for the Nagata New Japan Cup run after his big Suzuki win. Uh, this could have been an opportunity to get something more out of Nagata, I feel. Uh, but instead, it is just noted that Okada won with the Million Dollar Dream. Again, that head and arm choke. Uh, so they're getting over that submission hold. Uh, Okada just was Okada. Nothing terribly wrong with it but uh coming off that he just didn't like nagata looked great i loved what he was bringing it just seemed okada had in his head i'm gonna do this type of match and nagata is gonna do his type of match they didn't really click to make it uh make it go up to that next level uh, that's what was disappointing to me so looking forward to the rest of the new japan cup i am giving uh I think Dragon Gate the win here in the Pure War. So that will leave it to uh that will leave the um stats at Dragon Gate 5 to New Japan's 3 to Big Japan Wrestling 2. Uh might even watch a uh I believe a Big Japan Wrestling show is coming up. Uh, I might watch that, I might not, haven't decided yet. Uh so with that, uh, I will move into All Japan Women as soon as I find my Bull Nakano. <laughs> Japan women. This one's going to be short. I was uh, very much anticipating this All Japan Women's Classic episode, which is episode 23 if you're uh, watching along via the um, Google Drive from Purioso Dream. You can also uh, grab this from Samurai TV uh, in various ways. Uh, all these matches take place uh, from Cork and Hall on uh, December 26, 1987. Although I believe the main event was December 6th. 1987. Couldn't get a couldn't get a clear answer on that one. Hardly matters. December 1987. Uh, I believe this is our last match from the year, and then we're into 1988, the year of my birth, the greatest year that ever existed. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, uh, we get the Yasuko Ishiguro retirement. It's a five-minute exhibition match. Ishiguro versus Hirata. Uh, yep, sure was. Ishiguro retires. Never saw her on this journey, so not much emotion here. Dead crowd. Dead crowd. Just kind of came and gone. Nothing to say. Uh, All Japan Junior Championship League final match. Uh, the title was vacant. Uh, not sure why. I couldn't find an answer of why in late 87 it was vacated. But um, we got this... Uh, this was weird. So the title was Mika Suzuki versus Kaoru Maeda. Okay? Uh, so prior to this match, Maeda beat someone else. Not uh, Mika Suzuki. Uh, in four minutes, and she had a heavily taped up right shoulder. Uh, and then she faced Mika Suzuki. My god, this crowd was basically silent. This was so hard to watch. And it got me thinking, I think this is the match where there's three people and a winner is crowned when they get two wins in a row. Uh, that stipulation. Because uh, once Maeda beats Suzuki, um, the first girl comes in and they have a real boring mat work type match, and Maida gets the win. I think I have that right. I do not recommend this match at all because it wasn't exciting. It was just more or less confusing and trying to listen to the announcer announce who it was and what was going on. Uh, we get a singles match that follows. It's Hisako Uno versus Mika Takahashi. And boy, if you want a match of doing leg mat work the seemingly the entire time, then this is the match for you. I damn near fell asleep at this point watching uh, watching the show. Lots of roll-up near falls after the legwork is finally done. And from there, uh, Uno just floats over, gets the clutch pin win. This is a hard skip. This, this is one of the worst uh, AJW Classics episodes I've seen. There's just nothing on this show. And then for... And that was 35 minutes? And now, uh, for the rest of the time, it's the Devil Masami retirement match, which is something I was hyping up in my head. You know, I've I've loved watching Devil Masami on this journey. I've seen her essentially since day one. I saw her title reign, which was really awesome. Uh, she's facing Chigusa Nagayo, who seems to gain a little bit of weight. Uh, kind of noticeable. Um, so as a match, it was what we've come to expect from these AJW retirement matches where it's a highlight move package type match. It goes to its allotted time, the bell rings, Masami got more offense in on Nagayo at the end there, and the second that bell rings, Masami immediately bursts out into tears and just collapses on Nagayo embracing her. I'm like, what am I seeing here? Nagayo is definitely sad herself, yet she holds back her own tears. Uh, just that big, worried, fro frowned eyebrows, you know, that kind of gives it away. And then Masami here is losing it. She is clearly not ready to retire. It is not the face of someone ready to, to retire. Everything about her body language isn't ready. You can tell it's just that dumb age maximum that once you reach this age you have to retire it's that mandatory thing masami doesn't want to do it it it's very obvious that uh well it's very clear why she came out of quote-unquote retirement uh later going to i think it was jd star that she ended up going to and um 
it's Gal Galru Galra, uh, a couple others. She shows up in another promotion not too long after this. Doesn't go the Jaguar Yokota route and become a trainer. Uh, maybe she did at first. Didn't really look into that much, but very emotional state here for Devil Masami. She just can hardly cut a promo. Uh, and then they do the whole flowers. Everyone meets her in the ring. Uh, and that was the show. Uh, very disappointing, honestly. Uh, but the Devil Masami kind of watching that f unfold before my eyes, uh, that is something I recommend checking out. It it's, a it's a fascinating jaunt down the uh, uh, jaunt down history road there. So, um, let's move on to New Japan through the 90s. Alrighty. New Japan through the 90s. Another, another rough one, guys. The, uh... The retro watch was was not uh, not high praises this time around. Uh, really, only one match to truly talk about. But I watched more than that. It's New Japan through the '90s, March to May first, 1992. Uh, that's available on the New Japan on New Japan World in their archives. Uh, March first, 1992, Kanagawa Yokohama Arena, uh, 20th anniversary day special match. It's Inoki and Kido versus Chosu and Kimura. This is ba this basically sucked. It was really boring. I thought Inoki working Chosu's arm and then Chosu tagging out and rolling to the floor and taping up his elbow and shoulder was a really cool uh, spot to see. Uh, but other than that, it was super super dull, all boring mat work. Uh, dead crowd basically the entire match says a lot about it too. It just goes to a time limit draw. Waste of time. Big skip, I'd say. Uh, next match is March 1992. Uh, night from it is the Nine Days Kyoto Prefectural Gymnasium Wrestling uh, Karate versus Mixed Martial Arts Tag Match. This is kind of the two two three month build of these four guys. Okay, it's Shiro Koshinaka and Kuniaki Kobayashi. Versus Masashi Aoyagi and Akirishun Saito. Okay. This was a weird one. Crowd was super hot the entire time. Okay. It's a tornado style tag match of two karate based dudes fighting two MMA based dudes, right? Lots of judo. Again, real weird. Karate guys go wild kicking. The MMA dudes go wild. Double no cat. Oh my god. <laughs> no, please. No, 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 no. Don't do that. I sure hope my audio's okay. <laughs> my god, that was scary. He, like, crashed into the microphone as he jumped down from his little tower there. Sid, what do you want? What? No. No. Oh. Oh. Why? Why? Oh. I don't do this on purpose. I don't call him over to mess up the podcast every time. Oh. Come on, kitty. Chill. Chill out. No, don't bite that cord. My God, <laughs> just just be a good boy. My God, okay, where was I? Ah, screw it. There's no conceivable uh, way to describe the utter nonsense this match was. If you want a fascinating, weird, weird match based on martial arts, this one's for you. Uh, there was blood at one point, and the crowd goes into a bloodlust frenzy. So that's cool, I guess. 
So, hard skip. Here he goes again. Okay. April 1992, 30 days, Ryugoku, uh, uh, Kokuga, Koku. Koku Gikan Wrestling versus Karate Mixed Martial Arts match. It's Kobayashi versus Saito. Yes, from the tag match. So now we're gearing up for singles matches uh, between these four guys. Uh, same thing, but it's a singles match. Bloodlust, Bloodbath, Audience blood Bloodlust, Weird Martial Arts based thing. Ends with Saito submitting Kobayashi with the Kimura Lock. Uh, I really don't know how else to describe these warped MMA matches. They're just weird um that reminds me of brawl for all in a weird way without rounds finally a real match i get to watch on this little journey here it's from may 1st 92 cheapa port arena it's the iwgp tag title match it is crusher bam bam bigelow and big van vader versus keiji muto and hiroshi hase so at some point that we don't see due to the archive availability. Uh, but hey, Bigelow and Vader are now tag team champions. Hase uh, and Muto come out to a confetti entrance and the crowd screaming for in their names. Meanwhile, Vader and Bigelow come down like true monster gaijins on the hunt. Very cool visual and feeling here. You want to talk about an old school kind of New Japan tag match? This... Uh, this would be one I'm going to point to in the future as a recommendation. The very, very over mullet, gloriate, mustache man Hase and acrobatic Muto versus big bad boy Gaijins. Yes. First half was Hase and Muto using their speed and technical skills to down the big men. Made sense to me. Arm bars and arm breakers and the like. Made sense to me. Eventually, the power uh, and with the use of clubbing fists. The Gaijins take control as they bust open Hase, because he always has to bleed like a stuffed pig. <laughs> Seems every match I see with Hase, it's just gotta get that tomato juice flowing. Uh, maybe like a Cody Rhodes match today. Uh, let's see. Crowd uh, totally hates the big men beating up Hase. Eventually, as it does, the heroes fight back. Drop kicks, high flying, and the like. It's off to the races for the remainder six minutes. You get a bunch of near falls. The Gaijins slowly overpowering our heroes. The finish is pretty awesome, too, where Vader choke Uranagi slams Hase down on the mat, lands right on the back of his fucking neck, while Bigelow holds Muto's legs, keeping Muto arms reach from being able to break up the three count. Awesome old school type match. If you want a true tag team style wrestling of the past without the whole... Everyone must do flip dives to the outside. Bunch of dudes catching each other kind of thing. Watch this one. You won't be disappointed. And then finally, gotta finish this up. May 1st, 92. Chiba Port Arena. Karate versus MMA special match. It's Koshinaka versus Aoyagi. Uh, another weird brawl thing to finish this out. This is another two partners opposite from that tag match. At least in this one, must have been some crazy... You know, okay. There was wrestling mixed in with this one at the very least. There were suplexes, throwing dudes on their heads, but mostly it was the same thing uh, as before. So this had to be a crazy hot program in the early 90s, where they were mixing the styles, legit fighters into the shoot work thing in the ring. 
The crowd definitely liked this. They were super loud the entire time, popping for every big kick connection, a big punch. Certainly, whenever a wrestling move was pulled off, they also reacted accordingly. So, I'm definitely missing something on the appeal of these guys fighting like this. Uh, somehow, there was no blood in this match, so we didn't get the bloodlust crowd feel. Ends with Shiro unable to make a 10 count. This was a super weird retro watch section, to say the least, guys. Uh, so next up in the archive is uh, the May 17th, 1992 show from Osaka Castle Hall. There's seven matches to go, go through there. Uh, so if you want to watch along, there you go. That'll take me finally into the last segment. Mark it down. Huh? Going to our last little Nitro segment. Play the drop. All right, everybody. WCW Nitro, November 23rd, 1998. Uh, here we go. Meanwhile, on WWF Raw, it's The Undertaker trying to embalm Stone Cold Steve Austin alive to give you a nice little time frame of what's going on there in the rival company. This Nitro is important on the note that the, this is Kevin Nash's first Nitro where he's now in creative control. Yes, he's got the book, ladies and gentlemen. Keep that in mind. That is very important as we go through the show. Shivani... Uh, introduces us as usual with the Nitro Girls dancing and suspiciously building up the whole NWO being involved tonight. Hmm. They hype up Big World War Three win from Kevin Nash the night prior as he's super dominant and the whatnot as we're on the road to Cattle Prod Town versus Goldberg at Starcade. Then they tell us Hogan will be on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno on Thanksgiving to announce something. Yes, heard that right. Shivani then recaps Bigelow showing up at the pay-per-view last night for the fisticuffs. That made no sense. And how do we start off Nitro hot off that pay-per-view? Mike Enos versus Lex Luger. Sh sure, I guess? And this was very unlike a WCW Top Guy type match. Enos, of all people, went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Lex Luger. And I have no idea why. I can't imagine anything will come out of this. You know, it's not like Enos is going to boost up the card for going 50-50 with Luger. I can't imagine after two years of not using, let's see, no. 97, he won the title, then lost it a week later. And then back in August, he won the U.S. title and lost it less than a week later. So yeah, I can't imagine they're going to use Lex Luger at the top of the card at all. So I don't know what this match accomplished. Uh, but regardless, Luger wins with the rack to a massive crowd. No matter what Luger does, the crowd just loves this guy. Hey, I don't understand. I, I mean, he's got a good body, I guess. Cut to the back. Arriving is uh, two limos. Front limo has Goldberg. Second limo has Nash and Conan. Ooh. And Nash says, he's next. Ah ha 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 ha. And he cancels. Cackles. 
not cancel. Yeah, fuck it. Cancel Nash. I don't care. <laughs> mean Gene's on the ramp, and this is a this is one of those Mean Gene heavy show boys. So let's keep let's keep a track. He wants to interview Billy Kidman, and then Mysterio Jr. says good luck to their little title match as he came out. And then Eddie comes out all upset and says Ray is bound legally to the LWO. You know, totally forgetting what happened at World War III. I could not care less about this LWO nonsense. They tried to explain the whole Ray uh, is in the LWO, but then he's fired out of the LWO, and now he's back in because Eddie just, he's I guess he's changing his mind with the whole thing, and he wants to make Ray's life miserable? I don't know. This is a big swing and a miss from WCW with the Latino World Order. We don't want to fight each other, guys. It's La Raza. And then all they do is fight each other. So. Benoit defeats Norman Smiley. Quick, simple little showcase for Benoit as he wins with the Crippler Crossface. We saw a little bit of personality out of Smiley in this match. That was something. Uh, Nash comes out. Wolfpack promo. Party. Bowdy. I'm next. It's going to be me. Does a stupid Britney Spears line. He is so not cool. It occurred to me. I've probably said this before, but here I am saying it again, maybe. Nash is not a good promo. This guy sucks. He, everything he does, he thinks he's so much cooler than he is. He, he, the crowd kind of likes him. But when he says these promos, his cadence is weird. He thinks he's cool. It's awful stuff. So then we cut to the back, and Mean Gene confronts Nash backstage. So that's actually number two. I might have uh, marked this down wrong in my notes, but... Um, Nash backstage, not and, and Mean Gene actually a asks a good question. What's going on with you and Scott Hall? Uh, you didn't mention Scott Hall in your promo. And then Goldberg walks by, and Nash makes spooky faces at Goldberg. You know, because he's so cool. And then he, then he, uh, as they're about to go to commercial, Nash leans into the microphone, too much caffeine, because, you know, he's got to get, got to get that joke in. Cool guy. I fucking hate Kevin Nash on the show. Uh, and that's not because I know he has the book now. I actually watched the show first before knowing that, because I, 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 I got real curious. Uh, so, Tokyo Magnum loses to Canyon in a singles match, follows. But before the match, Canyon is backstage in total darkness, because they just got to keep doing this where you can't see anybody. And I assume he's talking to Raven. We don't ac actually know. But Raven is still full emo mom can't tell me what to do mode. Uh, what a winning, winning gimmick and story this is. Anyways, Raven refuses to go out with Canyon. Nice little short highlight match for both guys, really. Uh, Magnum hits his few speed moves, then Canyon hits a flatliner basically out of nowhere from a nice little transition. It's not, you know, it's it's like a modern indie match. I can see the appeal behind Canyon. Who better, right? Uh, it, like, from a match story perspective, it makes zero sense. But from an entertainment entertaining perspective, uh, these are pretty go okay, right? Uh, Glacier's full entrance time, always cool. Three-match streak for Glacier's entrance. Uh, full entrance here on Nitro and World War III. He's against Bobby Duncan Jr. 
This match was weird and off the entire time, all the way to the finish too, where Duncan is in control, goes for his bull rope and cowbell, and then he gets taken away. Glacier punches him. Duncan ducks and counters a second punch to hit the stroke finisher of all things and pins him. Very odd to say the least. At this point, I am 46 minutes into Nitro, and I don't totally and completely hate this. Feels like ages since I've said that. Could be a record since, well, June when I switched from Thunder to Nitro? No, I take that back because the July Goldberg title win was pretty good. And there was that one Nitro in August that was fucking awesome. That's when, like, every title was on the line situation. Yes, that one was real good. I believe that was the one where Luger actually beat Bret Hart for the U.S. title and then lost it <laughs> on Thunder. Um, Mean Gene number three, and he's in the ring to interview the Giant from the NWO. Keep in mind, he's less than two months from leaving WCW. Giant cuts a bad promo calling Nash a chicken because he is more important than the title now. I groaned. This was bad. Saturn versus Silver King, but not before Saturn calls out the cat to fight him, the three-time karate champion, if you guys didn't know. So we know where this is going. Match goes like 60 seconds before Sonny Ono and the cat look and fly, hit the ramp for a promo, and it's great. I just have to play it for you guys. What make you think you can handle me? I'm 6'3", 242 pounds. I'm big, bad, and beautiful. Three times. <laughs> oh my God! I didn't. I didn't even hear the fan in the audience during the during the uh, the small. <laughs> and you suck. <laughs> that was really funny. Okay. Uh, Saturn turn, turns around and squashes Silver King in a few moves after that. So the match was meh, but I, lo I, like, I love the cat. The, the cat and Sonny Ono are a fantastic tandem. Uh, Mysterio Jr. versus Kidman for the Cruiserweight title. Maybe? I think they had the title. I think it was for the title. Who cares, really? Uh, anyways. Insufferable Larry Zabisco on commentary, burying the Cruiserweights as usual. Still saying they don't have the longevity. They get injured all the time. Uh, it, we know it's not true. The crowd's mostly dead because it's the Cruiserweights. Uh, they end up having a great match, though, and ends via the LWO interference. Hoovy hits the driver as Eddie took the ref. Hidman uh, was out of the ring, preoccupied. Uh, he gets back in, hits the shooting star to retain, unbeknownst to him, that the LWO pretty much cost Ray the match. Mean Gene count at four as he interviews Bischoff, taking the... Uh, Controversy with Ric Flair. Uh, he's talking about the controversy with Ric Flair. And Bischoff claims he will settle this thing once and for all here tonight. Power trip type stuff. Uh, they call Barry Windham out since last week Flair said, uh, well, he's paying him. Um, and Bischoff says he's the hiree. Bows Windham is going to knock him out. And Flair's like, no way, man. Tradition, four horsemen stuff, right? Uh, Bischoff then pie faces Flair. And Flair goes after Bischoff. The crowd is going nuts for this. And then Wyndham hits Flair from behind. Flair and Wyndham go to blows immediately. The crowd's still going wild. Hell, I'm even falling for this hook, line, and sinker. Wyndham takes down Flair by the knees. And the horsemen try to save as uh, Bischoff and Wyndham are, you know, giving him the boots. 
But then we get the NWO who cut off the horseman. Hilariously, Mongo, I guess, overruns his cue, and Norton has to be a freight train catching up to him, running by Benoit and Malenko, and uh, just takes out Mongo. It's like, no, 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 you're too fast, bud. It was funny. Brawling and beatdowns everywhere. This had real heat to it all. A good segment. Just to note, though, Bischoff is definitely trying to be Vince McMahon so hard right now. He's the sole authority figure now with the big heel group. Uh, he's made Flair his version of Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's not bad at all, but it's very awkward in timing how this has developed over the course of months. And uh, it's just it's just segmented too much in, in the story being told in its many parts, right? Uh, Conan versus Booker T followed. This sucked with a city finish. Uh, they tried to have a match, and then Stevie Ray saunters down to the ring, maybe perhaps wandering as well like he doesn't know where he is. He just gets on the apron, slapjacks Conan for the DQ. The fuck? So, questions Booker T's head, because, you know, he beat Conan in three minutes at World War Three or whatever. So we're back again to these two arguing over alliances and being brothers. Like Booker T forgot about Stevie Ray jumping him and betraying him before his little injury. Just grown city. Alright. Uh, mean Gene count at five. He's interviewing Bret Hart. Easily the best thing on Nitro every week. Hart calls DDP's victory last night cheap. Calls him cheap and a punk. And he's really emphasizing these words, too. He wants a rematch because that match was the pits last night. And we'll take on Malenko uh, tonight. As And then he's all smiles here. He's like, oh, he's got a bum leg. Says he's going to throw his leg into the crowd after he rips it off. And he will continue to rip people apart until he gets another match with DDP. Great promo, great motivation. Bret Hart's the best. No one can argue differently differently with me. Uh, and then we get into the third hour. God, these shows are long. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we start with my main man on the rise, Wrath. Right? I was like, oh, yes, I love these matches. They're so, they're, they're so quick. It's a meltdown. Crowd likes it. I like it. Let's move him up the card. And then my brain just froze over commentary starts talking about him being undefeated like Goldberg and says he's got Nash to deal with and I just went oh no damn it not like this so on no build at all no hype just a throwaway match on the third hour of Nitro this is how it went down like I get what they're going for Build Nash further by beating another undefeated guy. But to have nothing come out of this nor build? Fuck this. Now that... Now that my anger is just fumed, alright? And we understand where I'm coming from. These two had a hell of a match. Wrath bicycle kicks Nash. Drop kicks him. Nash goes over the top rope into the floor. Nash actually ran with his shit legs. It was good. I mean, the, Nash gets back in the ring. They have a big, big man fight. Nash hits his big boot. Big powerbomb beats him. The match itself was good. But 
to to just here it is on Nitro. I don't even recall them saying this match was even going to take place hours before, right? It was just, oh, here's Wrath. He's undefeated. Oh, by the way, he's against Nash, and he loses. Move on. Ugh. Huge shaking my head moment. This was, this, this, this right here. This is why WCW was falling into the abyss. Anytime they built up anybody that was seemingly breaking through the undercard and midcard, this shit would happen, right? No build, they lose, end of story, right? Right back to where they belong, below the quote-unquote stars, right? Anyways, let's get on to a, another good note, Jericho to the ring, with hair I can only describe as the most ridiculous sex hair, plus was electrocuted, <laughs> okay? By the way, Mean Gene counts at six. Jericho signs are all over the arena at this point. Jericho has some choice words for us fans as I uh, play this clip here. I used to look like this in the 60s, Gene Mean, I remember. First of all, I just want to say this. I feel a little bit let down, a little bit betrayed by all the Jericho-holics, and I'm going to tell you why. Over the last little while, you people haven't been showing me the respect that I deserve. You haven't been cheering as loudly as you should. You're forgetting that you're Jericho-holics, and you're forgetting the only reason why I'm your role model is because I am better than each and every one of all of you. Oh, I love Jericho. You can definitely tell Britt Baker is taking her shtick, her character, so much from this 1998 Chris Jericho character. It's great. It's absolutely fantastic stuff. I love Chris Jericho and the crowd. Like, they love him, but they still boo him when he does these things. It's great. They're totally into the kayfabe, right? They're like, I will support this guy, but if he's a heel, I'm booing him. That is exactly what it should be. And just to re reiterate, like, the Britt Baker thing... I love the Britt Baker character. I love what she's doing. She's even injured. She is still a highlight of the show, and I want to boo her. It's great. So, uh, Gene then follows up with his match versus Bobby Duncan Jr. Jericho hates cowboys, and then Duncan hog ties, uh, by Mean Gene's word, Rufus, as Jericho screams in the back, Watch out! He's a trained killer! <laughs> the segment was great and so entertaining. So, Bret Hart and Jericho remain the highlights of my Nitro viewing experience. Scott Hall to the ring, still with NWO music, as Jericho is trying to untie the pig-squealing Ralphus. Hilarious. And then he just leaves him because, well, Scott Hall's coming out. <laughs> uh, Hall actually calls for his music to be cut, so at least we're kind of in the realm of him getting kicked out of the nwo hall gets the mic he says the nwo indeed kicked him out and references he's all alone again and it's just the way he likes it he came in and started the nwo by himself and he's gonna be by himself again he's got something to prove against alex wright <laughs> like okay i guess sure nothing wrong i suppose with it uh it was actually you know, fine, nothing particularly interesting. He goes 50-50 with Wright for a bit, and then finishes off with the Outsider's Edge. Not a bad match at all. It was A-okay. And then, oh my god. 
Dean Malenko versus Bret Hart. Oh, dream match. Oh, mine. They go to technical town on each other. And they go, they even go to a commercial break in the match. A rare thing in WCW, you have a match that lasts longer than the commercial break. Or lasts up to a commercial break, right? They have a long match, very enjoyable. Malenko puts up a great fight with his uh, bum knee that's that's uh, that that was being worked on, uh, that got pilmanized uh, the week prior. They got a uh, sleeper hold over of all things, and Brett finally gets a hold of Malenko's knee as he as he was trying to go for it the entire match. Bobby Heenan does a phenomenal job telling the story inside the ring here, uh, so explaining the strategy and mindset of each wrestler, Hart wanting to lure and target Malenko, while Malenko is playing the safe and smart game at it all, protecting the knee, right? Uh, so after a leapfrog attempt and not getting uh, enough of the leap, he clips Bret Hart and lands awkwardly, grabs his knee, and that's when Hart strikes like a snake. He wraps the knee on the post, beats on it, and after 18 minutes, gets DQ'd because he wants to send a message by doing a diamond cutter to Malenko on a chair, right? So that's how he gets DQ'd. Uh, totally makes sense in all the story. Bret Hart is a is a hitman, uh, very much so in this world. He wants DDP really bad. He wants his title back. This is how he sends a me- sends a message to him. Excellent match with excellent storytelling in and out of the ring. I loved it. Crowd was depressingly quiet though throughout. But screw them. This was awesome. But actually, I can't blame them at all because it's 1998 WCW and it's progressively gotten worse and worse over the year. So, Hart lures DDP to the ring as he's about to take out Malenko's knee further. But DDP does end up countering and getting the better of Hart. Uh, and Hart flees. Bright Hart, uh, DDP gets the mic. Hit scum Hart. I feel all jacked up and feel the bang. Challenge for next week on Nitro. Good stuff. Bret Hart, Dean Malenko. Yeah, let's throw Scott Hall in there, I suppose. Chris Jericho. How about that? Okay. Maybe I don't totally hate this. And our main event, Giant versus Goldberg for the title. Because, you know, just like Sting getting the title match the night after War Games, uh, screw actually making sense of things, right? So I think we all know where this is heading. 162 and 0 Goldberg is loved. Uh, and inside a minute, Goldberg gets chokeslammed, kicks out, and holy fuck, Goldberg pops back. Knees, spear, holy fuck, he gets the big fat 550-pound giant straight up in the air, jackhammers him, crowd goes absolutely nuts. My eyes went wide watching that jackhammer. It's recount, and in his 90s sweatpants best, goes to brawl with Goldberg, is Bam Bam Bigelow. Security breaks them up. Nash then saunters down for his own pull-apart with Goldberg, because, you know, he's got to get involved. And then they go off the air. So all in all, I gotta say, this was a pretty okay Nitro. I liked quite a few things on the show. Everything was pretty fine, except the stuff with, ironically, Kevin Nash, right? All his stuff was pretty shit. But overall, not bad. Uh, We're on our way to Starcade. Nash has got the book. What could possibly go wrong, right? With that, I will mark down my timestamp, and I'll get into the wrestler rankings uh, of the podcast of the past two weeks. What? Drop it. Ah, you know what? 
This will be my rankings drop for a while. Yes, Russell rankings of the past two weeks. Uh, John Moxley still reigns supreme in the men's rankings at 78 points, while there is a, uh, a three-way race in the women's rankings with uh, Mayu Kihi and Sakushi tied at 44 and Tsukasa Fujimoto at 43. So uh, what, uh, what is the rankings this time around? Well, I'm going to start with the women here. Uh, Tam Nakano and Julia go 10-9, 10th place, 9th place. Uh, respectively, for their return to stardom and being the highlight of that show, I feel. Uh, Hikaru Shida get, gets, uh, eighth gets rank 8 there for the two weeks. Uh, good fire building up her match with Penelope Ford, getting ready for Fighter Fest. And then uh, we got our actress girls making their appearances here. Tehonma Miyuki Takase. Uh, solid ring work, solid character work there. Uh, Britt Baker manages to get 5th again for continuing to just be the highlight, uh, one of the big highlights of AEW and building up her character. Uh, I absolutely love the uh, the note passing to Tony Schiavone. I love her mocking of Big Swole. I love Swole kidnapping her and throwing her in the dumpster. And my God, the friendship timeout thing is my new favorite thing in wrestling. I absolutely love it. And if any of you come to me on Twitter with any backtalk at BowlingJD, you will be no doubt in friendship timeout. Mark my words. Uh, and then the top four shouldn't come as any surprise with the uh, the best matches there. Uh, it goes like this. Four Suzu, three Asuka, two Maya, and one Arisa Nakajima. Shouldn't be any shock. Um, I've went to detail of those uh, e each of those two matches. So uh, let's move on to the men, which in this case is uh, 15 Natural Nightmares. That's Rhodes and QT Marshall. I really thought of putting the tag team Nautilus here instead, but I went with keeping Yuki Ueno separate because he's a heavily featured single star, and uh, in those tag matches, I feel like he's more important and featured, if that makes any sense. Uh, 14, Omega Page, they're actually going to split uh, the two points here, uh, one apiece. Um, 13, Susumu Yokotsuka, 12, Santa Maria, 11... Ishida 10, I'm actually going to Efter. So uh, that tag team, uh, you know, solid tag matches. They're, I could totally see them rising up the ranks here uh, with some good good matches going forward. 9, Ishii, 8, Shingo. 7, Best Friends. Uh, that, you know, that includes the whole trio there. 6, Cody. 5, Ricky Starks. I absolutely adored that TV-style match. I've said this again. Cody is an excellent TV wrestler, right? But when it comes to the big matches, which, mark my words, at Fighter Fest, going up against Hager, of all people, I think that's going to be a stinker. Just have a theory. Four, Minero Suzuki. Three, Yuji Nagata. Shouldn't be any surprise. Two, Yuki Ueno. And one, Tetsuya Endo. Pretty sure you could have seen those four coming. Uh, so there you go. I will add up uh, all the points there accordingly. You can go on to redleafretrocast.blogspot.com to see the updated table. I do the uh, I, I list off the top 20 for both men and women. Update them with these rankings. You can follow me on Twitter. I even do my uh, little write-up at redleafretrocast.blogspot.com. 
uh, for kind of the state uh, of the rankings and uh, kind of a little outlook on what the next two weeks lo look to and uh, how that could affect the table and uh, why maybe, you know, just a little write on why uh, the rankings went the way they did. So yes, this was finally done episode 60 of the Red Leaf WrestleCast delivered to a rainbow in Yokohama. See you next time. Oh, my God.